right. We are on Band for Racing Radio here tonight on Thursday, March the 30th. And tonight we have our Richmond NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. Joining me for tonight's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, uh, all right, I'm unmuted, so thank you, Sharon. Uh, happy to be here as always. We look forward to another big weekend with three of the top NASCAR series running, as well as the Arkham Menard Series West on the West Coast out of Durandale. Yes, indeed. In fact, we're going to start with some short track news, and then we're going to preview that Arkham West Series race out at Irwindale Speedway, and we'll include some brief updates from the Arkham Menards and Arca East Series. Uh, at the top of the hour, we now then have a clip of the media interview with NASCAR's Cup Series driver of the number 12, Team Penske Ford, and that is Ryan Blaney. Afterward, we will preview the NASCAR Truck Series race. I said at Richmond on here, it's actually Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, Next, we'll preview the Xfinity and Cup Series races at Richmond Raceway. Then, of course, you want to stay tuned for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with our fan for racing crew. And Mike's not going to be here, but Tommy is coming on board with Andy and Jay. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. Well, it's certainly been interesting. Uh, obviously, we're going to miss Mike, but the topics, a lot of them are going to kind of be repeats or repercussions of some things that have happened. So Tommy hasn't had a chance to weigh in on some of that, so it'll be interesting to have that new perspective. Yes, indeed. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Okay, let's go ahead and get started with some short track racing news. Uh, I'm going to start over here at uh, Racing America. Uh, They've got the top story is the Tri-County hosting $30,000 cars tour, Old State Old North State Nationals in 2023. So that's during the Memorial Day weekend this year. Uh, and uh, it's uh, Tri-County Motor Speedway is going to host that Old North State Nationals during the Memorial Day weekend. I always love to see that, different tracks getting the opportunity. We, we've talked about this of uh some of the tracks not getting the attention and having to close down. So I think that Tri-County being able to host this is obviously going to boost their uh, reputation, I guess word I'll use, but awareness of it. And I think this is something specific that the ownership group of Dale Earnhardt Jr., Justin Marks, Kevin Harvick, and Jeff Burton have put a focus on. I really do because they've all been very supportive of these short tracks. So, I think that's going to come into play as we look at the next several seasons of the Cars Tour. I think so as well, and and they couldn't be in better hands as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Also, just a heads up for those people that were looking for the Thompson Icebreaker on April 7th and 8th, uh, weather is going to postpone that race. I know we're expecting some uh, severe weather here between tonight and tomorrow, and I know you've had some severe weather uh, in the south as well, Jay. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, there's another article a little further down. The ASA Southern Super Series at Cordell also postponed due to weather. Um, Jackson Motor Speedway this weekend already called off, so 
um, due to the, more weather coming in. And, yeah, right now I don't think we want a whole lot more than what we've had. Exactly. It's been uh, really a lot of um, weather. Of course, for us it's always that time of the year uh, when the uh, cold air starts meeting up with the warm air that's coming in. Uh, tornadoes always uh, kind of come into play. So we'll pray for uh, the best and uh, hope Hopefully, uh, uh, everyone will be safe. Well, and it is a shame. I know two of them have announced uh, new dates uh, with those reschedules, one of them being April 7th and 8th. I believe that was for the first one you mentioned there. I don't know if the Southern Super Series has actually announced their rescheduled date. No. If nothing else, okay, um, if nothing else, check out Flow Racing or... Uh, Mav TV, I know, is one of them. You can still catch some racing, whether it be live or not this weekend. We'll have to wait and see how the weather goes this weekend. But if not, you catch up on some that has happened in the past. That's true. That's true. I'm going to move over to Flow Racing. Uh, Shane Stewart is making a big splash on the National Sprint Car stage as a promoter. So uh, that's kind of a nice article that's uh, over there. That They've kind of subtitled it, The Band's Back Together. And uh, it shows uh, Kyle Larson as part of that group. Well, I'll have to check that out. I had not read that article. Uh, Definitely someone that, kind of like we talked about with uh, Harvick and Junior, Burton and Marks being involved at the uh, late model series, to have Shane Stewart get involved in the sprint car level, uh, I only see good things coming from it. Yes, indeed. Also, a lot of folks may not know but this weekend at Richmond tomorrow night, the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour is uh, going to be at Richmond Raceway, and they've got the entry list posted uh, over at Flow Racing. I'm going to go down to that list and see who's on it, uh, see if there's anybody we know. Uh, there's quite a few drivers, Patrick Emerling, Doug Colby, uh, Ron Silk, Kyle Bonsignor, uh, Andrew Krauss. Bobby Labonte, always a fan favorite, and Ryan Newman, another fan favorite. Justin Bonsignor is going to be in this race as well as Matt Hirschman, Max McLaughlin, Craig Lutz, Brian Duzot. Uh, a lot of familiar names on this list. And that's one of those to see drivers like Bobby Labonte and Ryan Newman. Uh, I know Bobby obviously chose when he stepped away from the Cup Series but still wanted to race. Ryan Newman, on the other hand, kind of ended up in that position, but to see them racing with this series, as well as some of the other drivers you mentioned, as far as very prominent in the modified, some of them we've seen uh, come as far as the Xfinity trucks or cup level, but, and I know it's a regret I had, I had like one opportunity to see these NASCAR wheel and modifieds at Bristol, and I didn't capitalize on it and take advantage of it, I'm hoping I still get that opportunity in the future, because these NASCAR wheel and modifieds technically have the most horsepower in all of NASCAR. Okay, so that's pretty cool. Now, you can watch this event tomorrow night. The the Virginia is for Racing Lovers 150 from Richmond Raceway is scheduled to go green at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and the event will be broadcast live on Flow Racing and can be seen with a Flow Racing subscription. So if you're not already subscribed, you want to make sure you do that because uh, that's going to be a fun race to watch. They always are, uh, and that's some of that short track uh, 
Modifieds are built kind of like the cup cars, a little more beating and banging and uh, rubbing is racing, if you will. Uh, but they always put on a great show, so it will be interesting to watch. They do, and Justin Bonsignor is looking to make it two in a row at Richmond Raceway. There's an article about that and the fact that the uh, Whelan Modified Tour is back in action at Richmond Raceway. So it's going to be their season opener. Um it's going to be their second race, actually, after their season opener at New Smyrna. So uh, they've had a long break, but they're ready to be back in action. So that's cool. It is. And I know I wish uh, Andy were on here to talk a little bit more about him. He probably gets a little more exposure up there in the northeast um, where the, the Wheel and Modified Series really thrives. I, I know they've spread their wings a little bit um, throughout the mid-east to eastern part of the country. But to have that opportunity, like I said, to go see them, don't pass it up like I did. Yeah. Now, over at uh, Short Track Scene, uh, they explain how the Cordell Mobile Double will work and why it was necessary. Uh, so you want to, that's for the super late models. You'll want to check that out. And then takeaways from the Cars Tour at Florence Speedway uh, that took place. <clears throat> Another good article, a couple of good articles to look into there. Um, I think as this exposure comes here with the Cars Tour Series, we're going to see more and more attention put on them, and that's a good thing. Uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to drivers, we'll see at the cup level or you know up at the NASCAR's top three. I know a lot of times that's one of those where drivers come from and people really don't know who they are. And we're getting that opportunity to know who they are before they're big-time stars. Um, that people are already invested in, and just the more exposure. We talked about this with Coda, with the Formula One drivers. The more exposure, you know, um, is always a good thing. Exactly. Carson Quapel is a good example. He avenges the icebreaker with that car's win out at Florence Speedway. So uh, there's the article and recap of that race available over at Sport uh, Short Track Scene as well. Now, that's one of the things you just made me think of it when, when you talk about it. When, they, when these drivers move up and the broadcasters or announcers talk about who they are and where they come from, now you're getting to see where a lot of people are like, hey, I remember that or I saw that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. again, that's just such a good thing. These people know who they are. They're invested in them. They've seen what they can do, not just get told about it on TV or on radio. Exactly true. In fact, Matt Hirschman, he's excited for his chance to repeat at the Smart Sobo uh, race that's coming up. So that's the Smart Modified Tour that they're talking about there. And I think, if I remember correctly, I think Bobby Labonte is racing in that as well. Well, and if you're a betting person, uh, which I am, you definitely want to maybe look at putting some money on Matt Hirschman. I'm sure the odds on him aren't <laughs> real great because he is so good. So may not get a big return, but it's a pretty normally a pretty solid return, I'll tell you that. It is. It is, for sure. He's a uh, really good uh, uh, race car driver, especially in this smart modified tour, and uh, I definitely would put my money uh, there for sure. Okay, now, uh, what else do we want to talk about in any of those websites, Jay? I think we pretty much covered it. I, I say, unfortunately, we have to had to cover there a couple of the postponements. So, again, keep an eye on schedules and updates for that. We do know the one of them, but the others will have to stand by and wait. 
Hopefully they can get them in. As you mentioned, this time of year, I know especially for dirt tracks around here, um, it's avoid the rain showers and anything else that comes with it, but uh, get in what we can when we can. Yeah, I'm sure that's happening here in Illinois as well with the weather that's coming in for us. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and move over to uh, the Arca Menard Series. The Arca West is ready for race number two, the West Coast Stock Car Motorsports Hall of Fame 150. Uh, That's going to take place out at Irwindale Speedway this Saturday, April the 1st, and that's no joke. Uh, We'll be at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, that's 10 p.m. Eastern Time, and there will be live streaming of this again for subscribers at Flow Racing. But you can also listen to the radio coverage of that race over at ArcaRacing.com, and they have their Race Central up as well, uh, providing live updates from the track. This is a half-mile paved oval. They'll race 150 laps. Saturday, April 1st, to have their final practice from 3.30 to 4.30. That's local time or Pacific time. And the general tire pole qualifying time session from 5 to 5.20 Pacific time. The West Coast Stock Car Motorsports Hall of Fame 150 will be 150 laps over 75 miles starting at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Again, that's 10 p.m. Eastern time. So what are we looking for out at Irwindale Speedway in the Arkham Sutton Art Series West? Well, when oh, go under our pit box and news and notes here. The Arkham and Art Series West season kicks into high gear again. This is round two now of the 2023 season this Saturday night there at California's Irwindale Speedway. The West Coast, West Coast Stock Car Motorsports Hall of Fame. Uh, 150, marks the 33rd time in series history the popular half-mile oval. Steve Pertinga won the first West Series event there at Irwindale back in 1999. The series has visited the facility almost annually ever since. Yeah, Steve Pertinga is a very, very big name in the Arco West uh, area. Uh, uh, and Irwindale Speedway, for that matter. So he's been a, a team owner as well. So among the drivers to visit Victory Lane in the West Series action at Irwindale are several familiar names, including Brendan Gaughan, Todd Gilliland, Austin Cameron, Jason Bowles, and Jesse Love. Last year, Tanner Reif earned his maiden West Series victory at the first of two stops at Irwindale. When you talk about him, he's obviously kind of at the top of the list to watch. Now, he's driving for a new team, but the goal remains the same for Tanner Reif entering Saturday's West Coast Stock Car Motorsports Hall of Fame 150 at Irwindale. Mentioned Reif is the defending winner of Saturday's race. Uh, He returns to defend his crown as the new pilot of the number 16 Chevrolet for Bill McAnally Racing. Last year, Reif drove to his first West Series victory at Irwindale, and he was aboard the number six Sunrise Ford, racing Ford for team owner Bob Bucati. Now he's going to look to defend his crown Saturday against a strong field that includes his younger brother and Phoenix Raceway winner, Tyler Reif. We had Tyler on the show about a week ago, and uh, definitely uh, looking forward to see how he does this week. The younger Reif has kept himself busy since winning at Phoenix by competing in the Arkham Menard Series East opener 
at Florida's Five Flag Speedway, and he finished sixth in that race. But there's a hometown favorite this week as well, and that's Trevor Huddleston, who's returning to Irwindale, the site of one of two of his West Series victories, aboard the High Point Racing Number 54. He'll also have a teammate this Saturday uh, with him, debuting Jake Bowman, joining the team aboard the number 55 Ford. It's funny because when when uh, Sal mentioned that name, I thought he was saying Bowman, and I asked if he was related to Alex. Uh, but spells his name totally different. It's B-O-L-L-M-A-N. Well, what I like to see there is the expansion and growth, and uh, I think I looked at the entry list, entry list and we got 18 drivers, one of them being Sean Hed- Hingarani. Uh, his busy season continues, and he'll be aboard the number 15 Toyota for Venturini Motorsports. And then Bradley Erickson, who's fresh off a strong third-place finish at Phoenix Raceway, he'll be also be back in action on the number 88 Ford. Now, Landon Lewis, who fell uh, two corners shy of winning at Phoenix, will again pilot that number 17 for his team owner, Steve McGowan. Other notable entrants include local competitor Nick Joannides, brothers Eric and Ethan Nascimento, and U.S. Air Force pilot Ryan Roulet, Todd Souza, Kyle Keller, and R.J. Smotherman. Uh, You said how many people are on this entry list, Jay? I believe I counted 18. Okay, let's go from the bottom up, uh, one by one. All right. I uh, start with the 05. That'll be a David Smith-owned number, or a 05 Toyota, driven by David Smith, and he comes from Sydney, British Columbia. And Brandon Carlson will be his crew chief. Okay. On top of the pit box for Ethan Nascimento's number for Toyota will be Mike Nascimento. Uh, they hail from Rip, Rip, Ripon, California, and uh, sponsor is Rail Bar Protein Bar. Bradley Erickson, we talked about, comes out of Phoenix, Arizona. He'll be in that number 88 Ford, owned by Mike Naki. Crew chief will be Tony Caputo. In the number 83 is Jalen Mack from Chino Hills, California. He'll be driving the Coast Auto Care and Tire Napa Service Center's Chevrolet. Alicia Mack is listed as the owner, and uh, there's a TBA here for his crew chief. Nick Joannides, as you mentioned, in the number 77, comes out of right there in Northridge, California, in the Jan King's Taco Old Style Toyota, owned by Jim Nava. Crew chief is going to be Dean Kuhn. Jerry Pitts will be on top of the pit box for the number 70 of Kyle Keller hailing from Las Vegas, Nevada. He'll be driving the ever-ready House Star Nursery Argus Construction Toyota uh, for his team owner, Steve Bohannon. We'll get to know and learn a little bit more about not just the driver but the person of Jake Bowman. He'll be in the number 55 High Point Racing Ford. Comes to us from out of Huntington Beach, California. Tim Huddleston listed as the crew chief, or as the owner, I'm sorry. Travis Thurkettle as the crew chief. And then uh, Tim's son, Trevor Huddleston, will be driving that number 50 High Point Racing Ford. 
Uh, also for his dad, Tim Huddleston, they hail from Agora, California. Jeff Schrader will be on top of the pit box. Next, I'll cover one of the Chris Loudon-owned Fords. This one's the number 46 Country Air Force Radios and Stonies. Crew chief will be Tony Jackson. RJ comes out of Parump, North uh, Nevada. Nevada. Sorry. Okay, and then Tyler Wright's uh, driving the number 41 Power Gen Component Stony Ford for Chris Loudon, and uh, his crew chief will be Tony Jackson. He hails from Henderson, Bob. Nevada. Bobby Hillis Jr., one we know, is in the 27 in the first impression press in Campin Road Chevrolet. He's a self-owned team. They're going to have Ralph Byers crew chief in that Phoenix, Arizona driver. Okay, Chris Greeny will be on top of the pit box for Ryan Roulet, who is going to be driving the number 22 VFW Ford uh, for his family-owned team. He hails from Minot, North Dakota. Mentioned Steve McGowan. He's going to—he's an owner of the number 17 Chevrolet, driven by Landon Lewis. He comes all the way from the East Coast, though, at Ocean Isle Beach, North Carolina for the American Resurfacing Incorporated MMI machine. Richie Mason going to be the one calling the shots for him. Okay, John Camilleri is going to be on top of the pit box for Tanner Reif, also from Henderson, Nevada. He'll be driving the number 16 Napa Auto Care Chevrolet for Bill McAnally. Some names we know. Car owner Bill Venturini, crew chief Kevin Reed Jr., and driver Sean Hinnigarani. Uh, as the driver of the number 15 VMS Toyota, he comes out of Newport Beach, California. From Aromas, California, is Todd Souza driving the number 13 Central Coast Cabinets Ford for his family-owned team and Michael Munoz on top of the pit box. And if the Arkham Menard Series West had the Long Haul Award or Long Tow Award, I think it would have to go to the next driver. The number seven, Takuma Koga, comes from Nagio Kichi, Japan. Uh, driving in Jerry Pitt's own Toyota. Denny Moyer, though, going to be on the uh, crew chief box there for the GR Garage machine. Ty Joyner is on top of the pit box uh, for the Nascimento-owned uh, number four, driven by... Bubba Nascimento from Manteca, California. He'll be driving the Fidelity Capitals RJ Paint Shop David's Racing Chevrolet. So uh, a full entry list here for the Markham and Art Series West out at Irwindale Speedway this weekend. Uh, also, you remember a few years ago, I talked to... Uh, Kathy Venturini, and I wrote about the Ultra Blue crew uh, over at Panther Racing. Well, they've got an article up at ARCA Racing uh, this week as well. The true story of the Ultra Blue crew, Venturini Motorsports, all-female crew. They helped Bill Venturini win, uh, I think it was his first championship. So a really cool story. You know, I, th I think I remember that because I think you did that the weekend we were either at Chicago or Iowa together because I, wa I almost wasn't going to ask if that was your article that got put back up. Okay, Chicago. I remember when you talked to uh, to them about that to research for that article. 
Yeah, this article is actually written by Adam Fenwick. Uh, but I, I, I did uh, talk with Kathy Venturini and put together a very similar article, uh, I don't know how many years ago now, but it's been a few years ago, uh, that I also wrote about them. And, and uh, it's a fascinating story. It really is. Uh, most certainly. You want to check it out, and it is a great story, and I know this week on Race Hub, uh, I can't think of the name that Race Hub was covering as far as the female driver, fastest uh, woman in wheels. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. But there's a lot of great stories over at uh, over at DarkerRacing.com, and uh, we really encourage you to uh, check it out. They've got a story about Tanner and Tyler Rife carrying momentum into uh, Irwindale this weekend. Uh, they also have uh, race winners Tyler Reddick and Zane Smith are among the ARCA graduates. Uh, a lot of uh, NASCAR's drivers have come from the Arkham and Art Series platform, so they also give a track po- profile of Irwindale Speedway, so that's really cool. Uh, just to keep everybody up to date, there's two more races coming up for the Arkham and Art Series East and then also for the Arca Menard Series. Actually, the Arca Menard Series is first. They have the General Tire 200 taking place April 22nd at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time at Talladega Super Speedway. That will be broadcast on Fox Sports 1. The Arca East will be back in action on April the 28th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time out at Dover Motor Speedway for the General Tire 125. So we have to wait a little bit for those races, but they'll be here uh, sooner than you think. Uh, definitely looking forward to uh, this race this weekend for the ARCA West out at Irwindale Speedway. And I did forget to mention that that ARCA East race will be uh, a live-streamed race on Flow Racing. Well, and this is where, as we get into the season, um we see the championship contenders trying to kind of separate themselves. I know it's still early race number two, but that first race at Phoenix being a um, matchup with the Cup Series and Truck Series had some off the one-off drivers in it. So this is where we get into the season where your championship contenders will really emerge. Absolutely. <clears throat> okay, now coming up we have uh, the – a clip of the media interview from uh, Ryan Blaney. It's over 20 minutes, so we won't be able to play the whole interview. But uh, <clears throat> there's some really interesting comments here from Ryan Blaney, and uh, I'm going to try to play as much of it as we possibly can, probably around eight minutes. And uh, the first three questions get into his work with uh, – uh, his foundation's work with the Alzheimer's Association. So it's really good to know that Ryan Blaney's involved with that. Uh, he's got a grandfather that uh, had uh, Alzheimer's, so this is personal for Ryan Blaney. And then also uh, the next question has to do with how the race ended at Circuit of the Americas and is there a solution for what happened in Turn 1. And then also, how do you see Richmond going this weekend with the new package? And I don't know if they'll be able to get to it, but uh, he also talks about the uh, Bristol Dirt Race that's coming up the week after. 
and why he's so good at that track. So uh, let's uh, take a listen. Uh, Ryan Blaney, of course, is the driver of the number 12 Menards Ford Mustang for Team Penske. He won the pole a year ago at Richmond Raceway, the site of the Cup Series action this weekend. He's had good results at the short track uh, of late, having started and finished in the top 10 in the last three times that he's visited that facility. Blaney, uh, of course, was this week's guest on the weekly Ford uh, media call. So uh, that's uh, what this is all about. So let's go ahead and bring that on now. Uh, Jay and I will talk uh, with our comments uh, after eight minutes here. All right. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys for uh, joining us um, again. Um, So from the treacherous twisties back to the oval, we have Ryan Blaney here with us this morning ahead of Richmond. Um, a little bit of thing of note, uh, Ryan is partnered with the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council to run um, a PSA campaign urging families to have conversations about early detection of Alzheimer's disease. He has a very touching video on Instagram you may want to check out. And he'll be wearing gloves that feature um, the Alzheimer's Association logo this weekend at Richmond, and they'll be um, auctioned off with all proceeds benefiting the Alzheimer's Association. So, uh, Ryan, why don't you tell us a little bit more about that, and then um, everybody just let's limit it to one question um, and make sure we get everybody in for a first-rounder. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to – you know, be working with the Alzheimer's Association. Obviously, they, uh, you know, they've been amazing to work with, uh, you know, the past few years. And, uh, you know, when we started our foundation, you know, in 2018, um, we wanted to focus towards something that had a personal connection with us and our family. And, um, you know, that was, that was Alzheimer's. My grandfather had it and unfortunately passed away from it. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty rough disease to watch anybody go through. So um, it's been... Uh, absolute privilege to get to meet a lot of great people uh, who are directly working uh, with the Alzheimer's Association and, and companies kind of involved with it uh, that are, are striving to try to, you know, find ways to, to help fight this disease. Um, so, and working with the Ad Council, I'm really excited for our public service announcement that's going to be coming out soon, um, you know, and, and hopefully it gives a lot of people, you know, information of where to go. You know, if you have a loved one or you are, you know, suffering from Alzheimer's, it's, um, you know, hopefully everyone finds it very helpful. So it's an absolute honor to be with those folks, and I look forward to continuing to work with them uh, for a long time. Awesome, awesome. Um, let's kick it off with uh, Kyle Dalton. Hey, Ryan. So um, just going back to what happened on Sunday, i just curious what you could – how would you describe what happened in that the final three overtime restarts in turn one? And what is the solution to that? Because you hear different people taking different approaches. So what is, is there a solution to this going forward in turn one at Coda? Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, you know, uh, it's like, it's like a, a roll of the dice. It's, it's, that where he starts going to work out for you or not, especially, you know, if you're not in the first couple rows. 
Um, you know, and I was restarting kind of in like the 10th rows, uh, even further back than that. And I had one work out for me to where guys got soaked up and another guy got spun four rows in front of me. And I snuck by about nine of them. And the next restart, I got spun out just, you know, being middle of five. And you just are, are the unfortunate driver that gets turned around. Um, you know, we've seen that with, with these restarts zones of these tracks, you know, Indy and here kind of come into mind, uh, Coda comes into mind, of, you know, long straightaways leading to a very tight corner, and, um, you know, everyone's always on the go button, and, uh, you know, everyone's, you know, wanting to make spots, and, and restarts are the easiest place to make spots, and, and at those places, you have to be just a bulldog uh, to make anything up, and um, my solutions, um, we've talked about a couple things, I feel like, between the drivers, you know, what to do, and, and, and maybe we have some, some momentum going forward on a couple couple thoughts. But um, a quick, my, my couple quick thoughts were like, okay, well, let's, let's mount the radiators on the front bumpers uh, so no one destroys someone in the rear bumper because you're going to bust your radiator. That would be a quick fix. Um, or take about 80% of the bracing away from the road course and short track cars. Uh, you didn't you didn't see that with the old car, you know, because you were worried about getting a tire rub yourself, and then you're a little bit more mindful. Now these cars are just such tanks that you know everyone knows that they can take it and, and they take advantage of it. So um, those are a couple of my short-term uh, kind of cosmetic ideas, um, but there might be something a little bit easier uh, going forward to try to try to fix that. But they're definitely crazy, and there's a lot of guys that were upset. And, and honestly, sometimes I mean it happened to me at Indy last year. You know, you, I think the last restart I got turned around and, and pushed into one by by Daniel Suarez, and I was mad at him, and then I watched the replay, and it starts like four guys behind him who, you know, just bumper cars, shove, 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 and gets to me. And so it's like you can't even be necessarily mad at the guy right behind you because he's probably getting shoved into you by three cars behind him. So it's like, you know, who the heck do you even get, get mad at and blame? Um, so... It's just a wild west right now over there on that side at a few of those tracks. But um, unfortunately, it just didn't work out for us. It was a long, long weekend for sure. But uh, we'll see if we can figure something out going forward. Thank you. Let's kick it to Marty. Thank you, and uh, Ryan. Appreciate the time. As someone who has a close had a close friend with Alzheimer's, love your sto- story and what you're doing. So. Entering the weekend, you know, a lot of success early with this new aero package. Richmond hasn't seen its best show of passing in recent years. How do you see it going down this weekend? Will drivers have a lot to deal with behind the wheel? Yeah, well, I definitely think we're going to have a lot to deal with um, behind the wheel. Um, you know, this aero package at Coda and Phoenix, um, you know, we kind of got a, a decent idea about it. And I thought it was better at Coda than last year. Um, I thought the trailing guy was you know, could be closer. It's kind of hard on a road course, but you can still feel it. At Phoenix, I didn't think it was too much of a change, honestly, uh, in traffic. I thought you had your hands full a little bit more by yourself, just the lack of rear downforce. But the traffic side, it kind of let me down a little bit. I thought it was going to be a little bit better. I think it will be better at Richmond than Phoenix because Phoenix is pretty fast. And, um, you know, Richmond, you're going a lot slower. Tires wear out a lot more. So, Hopefully that helps it out. Uh, Richmond struggled a little bit last year, I thought. So um, I'm optimistic on, you know, going forward to Richmond. And then Martinsville, I think it's going to be even better yet. So, uh, yeah, drivers are going to have their hands full by themselves trying to keep tires on it. 
with the lack of rear grip, and uh, I'm hopeful that the traffic side is, is better. I think it's going to be. Appreciate it, Ryan. Best of luck this weekend. Thanks. Trey Downey. Hey, Ryan. Next week, Bristol Dirt, you've got two top ten finishes in the two races there. Uh, what do you attribute your success there so far, and do you expect the race this year to be any different than what we've seen in the first two? Um, yeah, I think you're going to be able to uh, compare this race's, this year's race to last year's. Um, you know, the first year we went there, uh, you know, inaugural events are always tough, especially when it's something that outside the box, you know, of how you run it. And I thought we did a good job last year of changing it to a night race. I thought that helped the racetrack a lot more. Um, you know, it wasn't a dust bowl. I, I thought you could move around a little bit more um, in the nighttime. So going back to this year, yeah, I think uh, I think this car took, you know, the dirt track pretty well. The tire was a little better than what we had the first year. Um, so, yeah, hopefully no rain. And, uh, and and I hope the track widens out even more. You know, I thought it was, was, was a lot better than the first year. Um, as, as well as being wide and having some grip that you could kind of chase up the racetrack. And I, and I hope it becomes even more so that way to where there's even more options. So uh, we, we had a fast car last year, just kind of kept getting in the bad lane on the restart. I kept having to restart on the bottom. I'd lose two spots, and then I'd still restart on the bottom. And uh, you'd have to fight your tail off to try to get those spots back. But uh, I'm excited to go there. Um, puts on a good show, and I think everyone really enjoys it. And it's something I look forward to, you know, from last year, I look forward to it. The first year, I was like, man, I don't know about this going back. It was kind of a, uh, a crapshoot. But, uh, you know, I thought last year was a big big success as far as the raceability, and I think this year hopefully will be even better. All right. We'll end it there. Uh, a little bit about the uh, Alzheimer's Association and Ryan Blaney's involvement with that. Uh, a little bit about CODA, a little bit about <laughs> Richmond, and the race after that, Bristol Dirt. So your thoughts, Jay? Well, I try and break it into the three sections. First, uh, let's talk about the uh, his foundation, the Alzheimer's uh, disease. Uh, obviously, he mentioned it was very personal, and I think that's what's great about these drivers uh, that set up these foundations, but it is not just to have one and do something for the community. They pick something that is meaningful to them because then they put their whole heart into it, and I think we see that with uh, Ryan Blaney as, a, as one that does. I know uh, several of them that they're very specific for a specific reason, and obviously Ryan Blaney's is. You could hear it when he talked about it. It is that important to him um, to put that emphasis on it, um, not just for him and his family or what they've gone through, but then knowing what others do that maybe don't get talked about. Uh, the second one there, uh, Code of the Restarts. I know he joked about it as far as his solutions, but that kind of is what says it to me is there isn't an easy fix action. And he did say something to the effect of it's in the driver's hands. They know this car is, I want to call it indestructible, but a whole lot more so than what the old cars were. So they just got to be aware of it and take that into account. Um, I don't know if there's a way you can get the radiator closer to the front, as he mentioned. I know he said <laughs> strap it onto the front end. You wouldn't see no bumping and banging. And I don't think we as fans want to see that, but we also don't want to see what we've talked about of just 30-some drivers all driving in there and essentially letting go of the steering wheel. I know that's been a thing as of late, but they, they really kind of are because they know they're going to bounce off somebody, whether they get spun is up to luck, if you will. 
I don't like that. But we saw some drivers capable of it. We saw Tyler Reddick take that inside lane, drive in there, make it stick, make it work, and be fast and come out with the lead from fifth spot. So it can be done, but everybody has to play nice. On the other hand, I understand where he's coming from. I'm trying to think how he said it, but even if you're a little check up a little, the guy behind you is going to go. So you either go with them and hope for the best or get run over from behind. Either way, it's kind of a, you know, crapshoot, if you no will. No win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got no choice. Um, the other thing when it comes to uh, Bristol, uh, Richmond, uh, his stats speak for themselves, and we'll see how this car does good there. But I wanted to hit on Bristol. I think what he really said it was saying was what we've all said, you've got to give things time. The first year, I wouldn't call it a disaster, but it was clearly not the best um, it could be. And they showed that by improving on it last year. And as he said, he thinks it's going to be even better this year. So I like that moving forward. They're showing the support and confidence in NASCAR and the teams, all of everybody to make it a better event than it was the previous year. Yes, indeed. I, I too, enjoyed the uh, uh, feature about the Alzheimer's Association and Ryan's involvement with it. And like I say, it's very personal for him. Uh, I really admire and respect that about uh, Ryan and that he's giving back to the community in this way. I, too, have a member of my family uh, that had Alzheimer's and and subsequently died from it. So um, it's a very, very worthwhile effort on his part. And, and again, I admire and respect him for it. As far as... um, uh, what happened to Coda? I think you gave a good uh, synopsis there of that. Uh, I think, you know, he kind of said that, I think, tongue-in-cheek a little bit about what his um, uh, remedies were. But uh, Mike wrote an article that we put up on fanforacing.com uh, today, and I think what comes out of that article, it's his commentary uh, with some potential solutions, but in the end... Uh, I don't envy NASCAR for coming up with a solution to this because there is no easy answer uh, to how they fix this problem. Uh, but I know I'm, I am glad to hear that the drivers are kind of getting together and talking it through it about coming up with some ideas on what they can do because I think a lot of it does rest in their hands. So that was good to hear. As far as Richmond and uh, Bristol, uh, and Phoenix for that matter, I think there's a couple things uh, that kind of tie into what you said, uh, giving things time. Uh, we've got a new package that's being used at each of those tracks, uh, but none of those tracks are exactly the same. So even though they have the same package, they're going to race differently at those different tracks. And I think Ryan did a really good job of kind of indicating that uh, when he was responding to some of the media members about the questions about those specific tracks. So Ryan does good uh, on short track racing. Uh, I know a win is just around the corner for him. He's been knocking on the door. He's just had some terrible luck. And uh, But I expect him to do well at Richmond and at Bristol, so I think there could be some good times ahead for Ryan Blaney at either one of those tracks. So that's all good. Anything else that you wanted to say, Jay, real quick before we move on? Well, and I think he appreciates it. You mentioned it, the fact of not envying NASCAR, because same with the package you just talked about. They tried to put together a short track wet weather package, 
Uh, again, it's not going to work perfectly at every track, but they don't run on the same track every week. So that's mm-hmm. part of that job. And, you know, he's saying, hey, that puts it then on us as racers. Now it's in our hands. This is what we got. We got to work with it. Give suggestions and maybe some things to work on and improve on, which NASCAR is doing, but work together, basically. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's good to hear that they are, are making those attempts. Okay, we're going to move on now to the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. They are racing this weekend. I put Richmond on the promotion. It's actually Texas Motor Speedway. I'll change all of that after the show here. Uh, They are going to race the SpeedyCash.com 250 this Saturday, April the 1st at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 at 3.30 p.m. with a pre-race coverage, as well as MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, they're going to race a distance of 250.2 miles over 167 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 77, stage 2 on lap 122, and the final stage ends on the last lap, which is lap 167. So uh, it's good to have the Truck Series back in action this weekend, and uh, we've got some people uh, that are going to kind of highlight uh, uh, this race, but also the race next week at, or in a couple of weeks at Bristol. Yeah, we're not done talking about Bristol, the dirt truck or dirt race. As Joey Logano is going to run that Bristol dirt truck race. He's the reigning NASCAR Cup Series champion, and Joey Logano is set to pull double duty. He's going to join Thor Sport Racing at the Bristol Dirt here in a couple of weeks. Now, this will be Logano's first truck race of the 2023 season, and it's his one and only truck series uh, last season was at the Bristol Motor Speedway on dirt where he finished sixth. Okay, also, Ryan Vargas is scheduled to make his second truck series start this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. He's going to be joining On Point Motorsports this weekend at Texas for his second truck series career start. He will be behind the wheel of the number 30 Toyota. Vargas made his first Truck Series career start earlier this season at Atlanta Motor Speedway, where he raced his way up to 14th place after starting from the 35th position. So uh, really good to see Ryan Vargas uh, racing in the Truck Series again. It most certainly is. Can't wait to see how he does here with his second career start. Uh, Speaking of early starts, though, we got the 2023 Sunoco Rookie of the Year race continuing. As the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series rookie class has now traversed their way through four races. And take a deeper look at where they're sitting as they head into race number five of the 2023, 2023 season there at Texas Motor Speedway. Leading the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings will be Nick Sanchez at 98 points. He's piloting the number two Rev Racing Chevrolet. He posted a seventh-place finish last weekend at COTA, earning him the Sunoco Rookie of the Race Award for the second time already this season. Sanchez continues to be the highest-finishing rookie so far, with his best finish being second place there in Atlanta. Now, following suit and tied for the second place in the spot in the rookie standings at 65 points is Bill McAnally's Racing's Jake Garcia in the number 35 and GMS Racing's Daniel Dye in the number 43 Chevrolet. Uh, This pair has finished 18th 
for Dye and 19th for Garcia at Coda. Just three points behind Garcia and Dye is GMS Racing's Raja Caruth. He's driving the number 24 Chevrolet. Caruth comes back from Coda after posting a season best finish of 13th. Now, rounding out the rookie class with 47 points is Brett Holmes Racing's very own Brett Holmes. He's in the number 32 Chevrolet. The Alabama native brought home the 23rd place uh, finish from Coda last weekend, but Holmes will make his second appearance, but first as a full-time driver at Texas Motor Speedway this weekend. Now, the only rookie to have previously raced at Texas Motor Speedway at 1.5-mile track is that Brett Holmes, I mentioned, posted a 15th-place finish there last year. Okay, now who's going to wrangle in the checkered flag? Matt Crafton and Stuart Friesen have an advantage coming into this weekend with their respective wins, but some drivers might be fighting to add a Texas Motor Speedway trophy to their trophy case. GMS Racing's granting finger is no newbie to the 1.5-mile Texas track. He has 10 starts, posting five top fives, seven top tens, and one pole in 2019. He's also led 60 laps. In last year's race, he finished just outside the top 10 in 11th place. McAnally Hilgeman Racing's Christian Eckes doesn't quite have the track time at Texas Motor Speedway that Ingfinger has, but he has put up some impressive numbers. In his three starts there, he's put up uh, two runner-up finishes in 20 and 22 and has led a total of 92 laps. So a couple of drivers to watch here this weekend. When you mentioned this, staying in the Lone Star State as Texas Motor Speedway is up next, for the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series won't have far to travel this weekend as they're heading to Texas Motor Speedway in Fort, West, Fort Worth, Texas, after the road course action at Circuit America's in Texas Capitol last weekend. Drivers will take the grid Saturday, April 1st for the speedy-.com 250 be covered on FS1, MRN, and SiriusXM Radio being the fifth race of the 2023 season. The 1.5-mile Texas has hosted a total of 48 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series races, produced 26 different race winners and 30 different pole winners. Seven races have been won from the pole, or the first starting position, most recently done by John Hunter Nemechek back in 2021. Veteran Nat Crafton, who's the one that holds several Texas or truck series record, records at Texas Motor Speedway, just about every category. Most poles, he's got five. Top fives is 17. 30 top tens. Lead lap finishes is 32, and laps completed at 6,453. Todd Bedine holds the record for the most wins with six, 2004, 5, 6, 7, and then again in 9 and 10, while Ron Hornaday Jr. has led the most laps at 685. You mentioned the two previous winners entered this weekend. Stuart Friesen was your winner in 2022, and Matt Crafton back in 2015. So Friesen is the track's most recent truck series winner. The Canadian driver has made 10 starts at Texas Motor Speedway, posted that one win in 2022, four top fives, five top tens, led a total of 90 laps, 
60 of them, which were in last year's race. And Craftman has made 42 starts. He's posted two wins in 2014 and 15, 17 top fives, 30 top tens, and has led a total of 444 laps. Now, the truck series will fire up the trucks for practice. It'll be Saturday morning, April 1st at 10.35 a.m. Eastern Time, followed by their qualifying at 11.05 a.m. Eastern Time. All right. Um, next up, we have Zane Smith going back-to-back at Coda. Now, front-row motorsports Zane Smith continues to dominate the pack as he found victory lane once again at Circuit of the Americas, securing his second victory and third top-ten finish this year. Smith became the first repeat NASCAR winner at the famed Rose Course and made the Front Row Motorsports team a perfect three-for-three in the Truck Series at Coda after taking the reins from Todd Gilliland, who won there in 2022. As the competitors head to Fort Worth, Texas this weekend for the Speedy Cash 250 at Texas Motor Speedway, uh, the number 38 Ford will look to take the checkered flag for the third time this season. The defending series champion is no long, no stranger to a 1.5-mile track, posting top five finishes in five of seven races during the last season. Looking to this weekend at Texas, Smith has made four series starts at the 1.5-mile speedway, posting one top five and two top tens. Smith's best finish at Texas was his rookie year, 2020, when he posted a third-place finish at Texas Motor Speedway. So uh, let's take a look here at the Xfinity Series because they also are racing this weekend. They're, but they're going to race the Toyota Care 250 at Richmond Raceway this weekend. That will be on Saturday, April 1st at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Fox Sports 1 will carry uh, television coverage starting at 12 p.m. Eastern, as will MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. They will race a distance of 187.5 miles over 250 laps. Stage 1 and 2 are both 75 laps apiece, with Stage 1 ending on lap 75, Stage 2 on lap 150, and the last stage ends on the last lap for 100, mile, 100 laps at 250. So uh, what do we have here in the Xfinity Series, Jay? Well, we got a new driver, if you will, as Chris Hacker will be running at Richmond. Hacker, uh, Chris Hacker will be making his NASCAR Xfinity Series debut at Richmond Raceway, driving the number 38 Ford with RSS Racing. Hacker has made 11 starts in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. His best finish is 16th at Martinsville back in 2021. So new, new driver to look forward to. Yes, indeed. And then there's those drivers that, to watch uh, at Richmond this weekend. With two previous winners in the field for the Toyota Care 250 this Saturday, of course, conversations have sparked on who will take home the 2023 win. And it's very possible to see a new face in victory lane this weekend. Joe Gibbs Racing's John Hunter Nemechek has put up some good stats at Richmond. Uh, it's a short track, of course, and especially in the last couple of years. In his five starts, he posted two top fives, three top tens, and he's led 171 laps. Now, last season, he posted a runner-up finish, and in 2021, he finished third. 
But there's also Colleague Racing's Daniel Hemrick. He's also put on impressive performances at Richmond, posting a top ten finish in all but one of his six. He also won the pole in his first ever Xfinity Series race at Richmond. And then there's Stuart Haas Racing's Riley Herbst. He's been fighting to post uh, his first Xfinity Series win, and Richmond could be the place to make that happen. In his five starts there, he's posted two top fives and four top tens in both Richmond Raceway races just last season. He posted a fifth-place finish. A total of six different drivers have posted their first NASCAR Xfinity Series career win at Richmond Raceway. That would be Butch Lindley, who did it in 82, Tommy Houston, also in 1982, Bobby Hamilton in 89, Jeff Purvis in 96. Coming into the 2000s, it was Kyle Busch in 2004 and Robbie Gordon also in 2004. Well, been a while for a first-time winner there. We'll see if that happens this weekend as Richmond Raceway returns. We had some good road course action uh, last weekend there at Circuit of Americas. Now the Xfinity Series will be headed to Richmond Raceway for the Toyota Care 250 for some side-by-side short track racing. All that fun begins Saturday, April 1st, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, FS1, MRN, and Sirius XM Radio with your coverage. There's been a total of 76 NASCAR Xfinity Series races at Richmond Raceway, producing 38 different race winners and 40 different pole winners. 16 of those uh, races won from the pole or first starting position, most recently just last year, 2022, by Ty Gibbs. Kevin Harvick sits as the winningest, winningest driver in the Xfinity Series at Richmond. He's got seven victories coming in 2003, 05, a pair of them in 06 for the sweep, and then even years of 2010, 12, and 14. He also holds the record for most top fives at 18. Top tens is 21, but it's Kyle Busch who has posted the most polls with six and lead lap finishes at 23. Now, the two, there are two previous winners entered into this weekend's Toyota Care 250, Justin Algar, who swept the races in 2020, and then Cole, uh, Cole Custer, sorry, Cole Custer, in April of 2019. Algar, with those two Richmond wins under his belt with that 2020 sweep, also has eight top fives and 11 top ten finishes. Last season, the spring race, Richmond race here, he posted a fourth-place finish. Custer uh, posted his Richmond race win in the spring of 2019, has two top fives and four top tens in his seven starts. His last stint, though, on the .75-mile track was in the fall of 2019, where he finished in the third spot. The Xfinity Series kicks off their weekend. Their practice session will be at 8.05 a.m. Eastern Time, qualifying set for 8.35 a.m. Eastern Time. Okay. A.J. Allmendinger is a course ringer, and he does it again. Uh, last year, as a full-time NASCAR Xfinity Series driver for College Racing, A.J. Allmendinger was the one to beat on road courses uh, as he found victory lane at 
four of six road course events on the Xfinity Series schedule. He won at Coda, Portland, Indianapolis's road course, and the Charlotte Roval. Now, this season, Almendinger has transitioned into full-time in the NASCAR Cup Series with his team, Colleg Racing, but he was given the chance to run the Xfinity Series race at Coda last weekend, and he did not disappoint. Almendinger came into the weekend quick out of the gate, and he won the pole for the Pit Box 250 presented by USA Today, a position he managed to keep at the end of the 46th and final lap. The win marked his second at Coda and the 16th of his Xfinity Series career. Although Almendinger will be sticking strictly to his Cup Series duties this weekend at Richmond, he will be back for some road course fun in the Xfinity Series at Sonoma Raceway later this season. And Almendinger said this weekend in the College Racing Number 10 Chevrolet is Derek Krause, who is making his Xfinity Series career debut. Krause has made 74 career Craftsman Truck Series starts, posting four top fives and 26 top tens. That includes three Truck Series starts at Richmond, where he posted two top ten, top 15 finishes at that track. Well, and there's a reason that Almendinger is not in this weekend's race, and he is not eligible for the money as we get the return of the Dash for Cash. So who's going to take home the first $100,000 bonus check? It's back once again thanks to the unparalleled popularity. The NASCAR Xfinity Series Dash for Cash program is returning for another year of unpredictability and drama leading up to enduring these four designated races in the program. The Xfinity Dash for Cash program encourages an increase not just in on-track competition, but engages the fans and rewards or recognizes those NASCAR Xfinity Series regular competitors. The first opportunity for these drivers to win $100,000 dash for cash bonus will be this Saturday at Richmond Raceway. Last weekend's race at Circuit of the Americas was the first qualifier, so with that we'll be seeing Junior Motorsports teammates Justin Algar and Sam Mayer as well as College Racing's Daniel Hemrick and Joe Gibbs Racing's rookie, Sammy Smith, dashing for their chance to win. Now, of this competition, Algar is the most experienced at Richmond Raceway. In 22 starts, he's posted two wins, a total of eight top fives, 11 top tens, having led 494 laps. His average finish is 12.6. Now, to compete with that, Algar's junior motorsports teammate, Sam Mayer, he won last year's Dash for Cash bonus at Richmond Raceway. And he has two starts at the .75-mile track with a best finish of third in 2022, and I'll come back to that. College Racing's Hemrick enters the weekend with six starts at Richmond, posting three top fives and five top tens. And JGR's Smith uh, mentioned he's a rookie, so he'll be making his series track debut at Richmond Raceway this weekend. And I know we've explained it in the past, but I just wanted to hit on it. You don't have to win the race. It's the best finish of those four drivers to pick up that victory. So, again, Sammy Mayer, uh, Sam Mayer uh, finished third in 2022, but was the best of the drivers eligible. 
And with that, then, the top four regular Xfinity Series drivers are the ones that are eligible for the next event. That's correct. Okay, so the the quarter race was actually the eligibility race for who was going to compete for that bonus money at Richmond, and these are the four drivers that uh, had that best finish. So very cool to see it uh, taking place for the entire month of uh, April here. All right, uh, next up is our NASCAR Cup Series, the Toyota Owners 400 at Richmond Raceway this Sunday, April the 2nd, starting at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Pre-race coverage will start at 2 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1, as well as MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 300 miles over 400 laps. Uh, the first stage ends on lap 70. The second stage ends on lap 230, and the final stage ends on lap 400. So, um, again, a lot to look forward to in this race on Sunday here in the Cup Series, uh, but there's a lot of uh, good things happening this weekend. And we want to watch over the next couple. Yeah, we want to watch over the next couple of races as the Cup Series, some Cup Series drivers hit some milestones that we want to watch for. So it'll be over the next few, next few several driver, next few races, several drivers in the NASCAR Cup Series are reaching milestones uh, in starts if they continue to run full time in the series. At Richmond Raceway, which will be, this says two weeks, but it should be uh, this weekend. Uh, Team Penske's Austin Sindrick, he'll be making his 50th career NASCAR Cup Series start already. You know, five different drivers all time in the NASCAR Cup Series have won their 50th career Cup start. That includes Glenn Wood in 1960, came at Winston-Salem, Dick Hutcherson in 1965 at Lincoln, Charlie Glotzbach in 1970 at Daytona, and Daryl and His was in Nashville third rounds. And then Jeff Gordon in 1994 happened at Indianapolis. Then, coming up at Bristol Motor Speedway Dirt, that'll be in a couple weeks, April 9th, Richard Childress Racing's Kyle Busch, he'll be making his 650th NASCAR Cup Series start. Busch will become the 27th different NASCAR Cup Series driver all time to make 650 starts, or 650 or more starts. Only one driver all time has won on their 650th career NASCAR Cup Series start, that belongs to NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty. It happened at Dover Motor Speedway on my birthday, oh, the year before, September 15, 1974. Yeah, it could have been 75. How about that? Uh, then coming up, Talladega Super Speedway, April 23rd. There we're going to look at Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick. He'll be making his 800th career NASCAR Cup Series start. Harvick, that is just the 10th different driver in the NASCAR Cup Series all-time to make 800 or more starts in the series. Again, we only have one driver who has won on the 800th career NASCAR Cup Series start, and it was NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty again, this time at Dover Motor Speedway on September 16, 1979. (laughs) Kind of cool. Okay, uh, Vernon Davis is named the honorary pace car driver for the Toyota Owners 400 at Richmond Raceway. 
Uh, he's a former NFL tight end and current actor, producer, and entrepreneur. Uh, he will lead the field to green for Sunday's Toyota Owners 400. So we'll look forward to seeing him uh, at the track and taking care of getting our drivers started for the race. Well, speaking of getting started, the festivities are going to start early for fans as you have the finish line party presented by Richmond Raceway. That'll be on March 30th. Richmond Raceway announced it. Yeah. uh, It announced that it'll have the finish line party to begin the Toyota Owners 400 weekend on March 30th. The simultaneous rooftop parties will take place at three different iconic uh, Richmond venues. Now, the celebrations will take place at first the Quirk Hotel rooftop. That'll start at 5.30 p.m. Uh, New York Deli at 6.30 p.m. And the Hof Garden rooftop, rooftop at 7.30 p.m. All three parties are located within minutes of each other, making it easy for fans to come and go as they please. Now, these parties will include appearances from Richmond Mayor LeVar Stoney, Richmond Raceway President Lori Collier-Warren, and multiple NASCAR personalities. In addition to music, giveaways, and food and drinks available for purchase. So that's, that's kind of cool. That's the first time I've seen that. Yeah, it's kind of cool to have them start out with those three parties uh, to get the weekend started. Uh, you can't think of a better way to do it. Okay, now the Sunoco Rookie of the Year update. Ty Gibbs is opening up his rookie points lead as uh, he's posted his second top ten finish of the season at Circuit of the Americas last weekend. And as a result, he opened up that Sunoco uh, Rookie of the Year standings by over legacy motor club driver Noah Gregson by 32 points through the first six races. This season, Gibbs is putting up an average uh, finish of 18.2 compared to his rookie counterpart of Gregson at 22.8. Now, both rookies made the series track debuts at Richmond last year, and both will be looking to build on that first appearance. Of the two rookies last season, Gibbs qualified better at 14th than Gregson at 19th, but it was Gregson who pulled out the better finish at 24th compared to Gibbs 36. But don't sleep on those, on these two rookies this weekend, as both have won their NASCAR in the NASCAR Xfinity Series at Richmond in the past. Gregson won there in 21, and Gibbs won there in 22. Now we're going to take a look at the best in the next-gen car on tracks less than a mile in length, which are considered the short track. When looking back at the inaugural season of the next-gen car, which was 2022, the NASCAR Cup Series competed in six events on tracks that measure less than a mile. Richmond Raceway is .75 mile, Martinsville Speedway is .526, and then Bristol Motor Speedway, the dirt, is .5 mile, Whereas on the regular track, it comes out to 0.533 miles. So we're going to take a look at the drivers that excelled in these types of tracks. When we look at wins, six different drivers won on short tracks in the next-gen car in as many races last season. The six winners were Denny Hamlin at the first Richmond race, William Byron at the first Martinsville race, Kyle Busch picked up the victory on Bristol on dirt, 
Kevin Rich or Kevin Harvick uh, won the second Rich, Richmond race. Chris Busher won on the under Bristol Motor Speedway, and then Christopher Bell picked up that huge win at Martinsville in the fall for the playoffs. Same thing goes when we talk about runner-up finishes. It was six different drivers that finished runner-up in those six short track Cup Series races last year. It was Kevin Harvick that was second at Richmond, which was the first race. Joey Logano at Martinsville in the first race. Tyler Reddick came home second in Bristol Dirt. Christopher Bell was second at Richmond in their second race. Chase Elliott was second at the Bristol race. And then Kyle Larson second at the second Martinsville race. Now, top fives, obviously, we're going to have a bigger number there, but it was 14 total different drivers scoring top five finishes in those six short track Cup Series races last season. It was led by Kyle Larson, who had four top fives, then Christopher Bell, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, and William Byron with three top fives each. Number goes up a little bit when we talk about top ten. There's a total of 23 different drivers with top ten finish in the six short track Cup Series races. It was led by Chase Elliott, Christopher Bell, and Ryan Blaney, who each had five. When we look at average finishes, there was a total of six different drivers with an average finish of 10th or better in those six short track Cup Series races last year. William, or I'm sorry, Christopher Bell led the charge. His was a 6.6. William Byron, uh, right behind him, at a 7.2. Chase Elliott, 8.2. Kyle Larson, also at 8.2. Ryan Blaney, who we heard the interview with, was at 9.8. And then your series champion, Joey Logano, 10.2. Laps led our final category. There's a total of 20 different drivers that led at least one lap in the six short track Cup Series races in 2022. The top five lap leaders on short tracks, Christopher Bell, 356 laps out front. William Byron, uh, just a touch behind him at 334. Then Chase Elliott, 240. Denny Hamlin, 230. And Joey Logano at 223. Okay, well, we talked about uh, three block parties taking, or not block parties, but three rooftop parties taking place uh, tonight. Tomorrow night is going to be Bubba Wallace's block party returning to Richmond. So uh, it's a community block party hosted by 2311 racing driver Bubba Wallace. It's free, family-friendly, and it will take place from 6 to 10 p.m. tomorrow night, March 31st, at Virginia Credit Union Live, located at Richmond Raceway. The free ticket event hosted by Desi Banks will offer guest performances by Backyard Band and the Art of Noise, RVA, and attendees will also enjoy iRacing video games and live pit stop demonstrations by Wallace's number 23 pit crew. Wallace will engage the audience as part of a fireside chat which will focus on his career journey and NASCAR's efforts to promote diversity and inclusion across the sport. So uh, really fun to see that uh, Bubba Wallace's block party is back. All right, give me a second here, Sharon. I was trying to do some math in my head on how long it takes me to get to Richmond from here. Uh, okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of parties going on. I got excited. 
Yes, indeed. Okay, we do uh, have some veterans okay, dominating Richmond. Uh, sorry, um, some veterans that have dominated Richmond recently in the Cup Series. When we look at the recent visitors to Richmond Raceway's Victory Lane in the NASCAR Cup Series, eight of the last nine races have been won by veteran drivers. Kevin Harvick in 2022, as well as Denny Hamlin, is Martin Truex in Jr. in 2021, as well as a 2019 sweep, Brad, Kle- Brad Keselowski in 2020, and then Kyle Busch also used that broom in 2018 with a sweep. The one lone exception is Hendrick Motorsports' Alex Bowman, who won in 2021. So we got to look at if the veterans will prevail again this weekend, or if we see one of these young guns hoist the trophy this weekend. Total of eight former Richmond winners are entered into this weekend. That's led by Richard Childress Racing. Kyle Busch has six victories at the .75-mile track. His victories came in the spring of 2009, 10, and 11, the spring of 12, 18, which was a sweep. The driver with the most wins recently at Richmond, though, and that goes to Joe Gibbs Racing's Martin Truex Jr., who has earned three of his wins since 2019. The level of competition, though, is always fierce at Richmond. Only five first-time winners have earned their first NASCAR Cup Series career win at Richmond Raceway, and it hasn't happened since all the way back in 2005 when Casey Kane picked up the victory. Before that, it was Tony Stewart in 1999, big jump back to Kyle Petty in 1986, and then Neil Bonnet in 1977, and James Hilton in 1970. Wow, how about that? Okay, uh, now we're going to look at short track racing at Richmond Raceway. The 2023 Cup Series season has been filled with unpredictable finishes and stellar on-track competition, producing five different winners in six races. Plus, the Cup Series has seen four different points standing leader, leaders through the first six races, with Trackhouse Racing's Ross Chastain out front that was before the points shift uh, with the Hendrick appeal. Uh, This weekend, I think Alex Bowman is on top of that list at this point. Uh, This weekend, the NASCAR Cup Series prepares for the close beating and banging racing that fans love at short tracks like Richmond. Originally known as the Atlantic Rural Exposition Fairgrounds, Richmond Raceway held its first race in 1946 as a half-mile dirt track. The first NASCAR Cup Series race at Richmond Raceway was held on April 19th of 1953, and that was won by Hall of Famer Lee Petty in a Petty Enterprises Dodge with an average speed of 45.535 miles per hour. The track surface was changed from dirt to asphalt between the races in 1968, and in total, Richmond Raceway has hosted the Cup Series 132 times, producing 57 different pole winners and 53 different race winners. NASCAR Hall of Famer's Richard Petty in 1961, 67, 68, 69, in 1970 a sweep in 74 and 75, and Bobby Allison with a 72 sweep, a 73 sweep, also in 74, 76, 79, and 82, lead the Cup Series in poles at Richmond 
with eight each. Eight of the 57 NASCAR Cup Series Richmond Raceway pole winners are active this weekend, led by Denny Hamlin in 2006, 2008, and 16, and Kevin Harvick in 2005, 18, and 19 have three poles each. So behind them in poles are Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano with two, Kyle Larson, Ryan Blaney, Kyle Busch, and Martin Truex Jr. each have one. Now, NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty leads the Cup Series and wins at Richmond Raceway. He has 13 victories, including the spring of 61, a 67 sweep, fall of 68, fall of 70, a 71 sweep, 72 sweep, and a 73 sweep, and the fall of 1974 and spring of 75. The third most wins by a single driver at a single track in series history behind just 15 wins at Martinsville and North Wilkesboro. Eight of the 53 Cup Series Richmond Raceway winners are active this weekend, led by Kyle Busch with six victories. He won there in the spring of 09, the spring of 2010, the spring of 2011 and 12, and he had a 2018 sweep. Joe Gibbs Racing's driver Denny Hamlin is the defending winner of this weekend's race at Richmond Raceway, and Stuart Haas Racing veteran Kevin Harvick is the most recent victor, taking the win there last August. Uh, let's see. We've got Kyle Busch, of course, with his six. Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin with four wins, followed by Brad. I'm sorry, Martin Truex Jr. with the three. Brad Keselowski and Joy Logano with two apiece. Alex Bowman and Kyle Larson each have one race at the track. All the on-track action begins this Saturday, April 1st, with practice from 10 a.m. to 10.50 a.m. and will be immediately followed by the Bush Light Pole qualifying from 10.50 a.m. to 12 noon. Both events will, of course, be broadcast on Fox Sports 1. Well, we talked a little bit about last week's race at Coda, and Reddick adds his name to the playoffs and the all-star list with that Coda victory. With the fifth different winner this season, 23-11 racing's Tyler Reddick last weekend at the Circuit of Americas, it was his fourth career NASCAR Cup Series victory and third on a road course. Now, not only did the California natives secure his spot in the playoffs with the win, but also the NASCAR all-star race, which will take place at the newly renovated North Wilkesboro Speedway coming up on May 21st. Now, this season, Reddick has spun the tires in the first few races, but since found the traction he needs to put up some decent finishes. In six starts, he amassed one win at Coda, three top fives, and three top tens. His average finish this season is 16.2. As we look to Richmond, Reddick has made five career starts there, posted a best finish of 11th in 2020. The average finish there, though, 17.8. Good news, he finished 12th there in the race last season. Okay, well, I uh, cover our last topic here for the NASCAR Cup Series, Jay. You might want to prepare uh, a recap of our fantasy racing group at Vampire Racing and uh, give us an update there when I get finished. All right. 
All right. We have five different winners in the first six NASCAR Cup Series races of this year. Off to a fast start, the 2023 NASCAR Cup season has seen five different winners from five different organizations. J.T. Joherty Racing's Ricky Stenhouse won at Daytona. Richard Childress Racing's Kyle Busch at Fontana. Hendrick Motorsports uh, driver William Byron has two wins at Las Vegas and Phoenix. And Team Penske's Joy Logano won at Atlanta. Of course, last weekend's winner was 2311 Racing's Tyler Reddick, who won at Circuit of the Americas. The only repeat winner this season has been the opportunistic William Byron, who uh, was able to grab both of his wins on the heels of late race cautions and overtime restarts at Las Vegas and Phoenix. Now the highly competitive series heads to the historic uh, three-quarter mile Richmond Raceway for the seventh race of the season, the Toyota Owners 400, this Sunday. It should be some good old short track racing at the track. In addition to a bevy of different race winners this season, through six races, the Cup Series has produced an average 11.33 lap leaders per race, which is seventh most in the modern era from 72 to 23, behind the 2011 13.0 and 2014 12.5. In 2010, it was 12.0, 22 also 12.0, and in 89, it was 11.7. In 2007, it was 11.5. In total, 30 different drivers have led laps in the first six races of 2023. Uh, This season, led by Hendrick Motorsports driver Kyle Larson, with 270 laps led, which results in 20.22% of the total 1,335 laps run this season. The 2023 Cup Series season has also produced an average margin of victory at 1.111 thousandths of a second through six races, with three events finishing with a margin of victory under a second. Four of the first six Cup Series races this season have resulted in overtime finishes, including Daytona, Las Vegas, Phoenix, and, of course, Coda. Plus, this season has also produced 369 green flag passes for the lead in the first six points-paying races of the year. Daytona had 204 green flag passes for the lead, with Fontana at 35, Las Vegas 22, and Phoenix at 14, Atlanta had 73, and Coda 21. Second most through the first six races of a season since the loop data statistic was initially ta- initially tabulated in 2007. That's the last 17 seasons, just behind the 2022 season with 378 green flag passes for the lead. Uh, so we have a lot to look forward to. Uh, we'll see if they continue to uh, make it interesting at Richmond Raceway this weekend. But now, Jay, let's go ahead and give that uh, update on our fantasy. Well, speaking of interesting and turning some season around and the points tightening up, uh, I went into the weekend with two first-round picks, picked up two victories, so it has changed things dramatically. (laughs) On the truck series, Sharon, you lead the points. You got 22, but Andy's at 21, Sam at 20, James and Tommy tied at 18. 
and then Brian at 13 with Owen. I have now 12, and Mike is at 11. And that's just over one point uh, total lead from top to bottom. So that was a huge change. I needed that in the truck series. <laughs> that's awesome. On the Xfinity side, Mike's got 36 points. I'm behind him at 33. Sharon, you're at 30. Then James at 28. Owen, 21. Sam and Tommy tied at 19. And Brian at 18, Andy at 17. There, it's a two-race uh, gap between top to bottom. Sliding over to the Cup Series, there is no points lead as Brian and I are tied at 48. James and Owen, I guess technically in third, are tied at 43, five points behind. Then Sam at 40, Tommy 39, Andy 25, Mike 23, Sharon, you're at 20. Uh, that one's a little bit bigger gap. 24 points would take three races to make it up. Yeah, and I have see. not been successful in the Cup Series at all. Find the overall here. It kind of sorts itself out. I'm at 93 points. James is uh, still right there with me. He had led the points, I think, most of the year. He's got 89. Brian and Sam at 79. Owen, 77. Tommy, 76. Sharon, you're at 72. Mike is at 70, and Andy, 63. So there again, total is only 30 points, just over three races. And that's with only five, four to five races in each series. So we still got a long ways to go. So it's going to be interesting all year long, I think. Yes, indeed. I got my Austin Hill picked back this week, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see what happens this weekend. All right, uh, we're coming up on the top of the hour, uh, which means that it will be time at, uh, at, for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off segment. Uh, Andy Lasky, and uh, as a matter of fact, he's here now, as well as uh, Tommy um, Kraft will be joining us here shortly. But, Dandy, I believe you're here now. I am. How's it going? It's going great. We're we're happy to have you back. This has been quite a string of uh, uh, appearances for you. I love it. Yeah, no, this is good. I'm I'm happy that uh, things are working out to be more involved this year, and uh, yeah, happy to be back on again. Appreciate it as always. All right. Also joining us tonight, and we're happy to have you back. That is Tommy Kraft. Welcome back, Tommy. Hey, how are y'all? It's been a while. Thanks for having me back. Glad to be on. Well, we're glad to have you back on as well. Uh, Tommy, since you haven't been on in a whole pile, why don't we let you pick the first hot topic for tonight? Well, let's go with um, Hendrick Motorsports. Um, Basically, the fine and suspensions being upheld, but the penalties being rescinded. Okay. So, Andy, your thoughts about the uh, appeals uh, rescinding? points yeah i'm disappointed in this because i i feel like it's not much of a penalty anymore um i'm going to try to find the exact uh verbiage on this but um hold on just a second here um because it basically the appeals commission basically said that they acknowledged that hendrick motorsports was in the wrong for having modified parts but then decided to rescind the points penalty, which to me the points penalty is is the big part of this. 
a four hundred thousand dollar fine for the crew chiefs is is nothing, uh, as well as the fact that you know the four race suspension for the crew chiefs is really irrelevant in my opinion because those crew chiefs are back at the shop calling the race, you know through through their interim crew chiefs and and probably you know very much just as much involved in the team day operations as they ever would be. So I feel like it's it's really a non-penalty. I feel like, you know, in my mind where it hurt the most was, was the points, you know, because these teams went from being in playoff contention to way below the cut line. And, you know, the, the money and the suspensions really don't mean anything. It's the points position that meant something. So it's, it's, kind of frustrating to see them them backtrack on this but you know the worst part was in my mind you know having the appeals commission basically say yeah they 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 were in the wrong but we're gonna make this a non-penalty and i say non-penalty because the suspensions and and money really isn't anything in my mind so yeah it's it's kind of uh it's kind of disappointing to say the least um hold on just a minute here i'm trying to find exactly what was said um, if you'll bear with me just a minute, I'm going to try to find exactly what the appeals commission said because it, they basically said that they they felt like that, that Hendrick had done you know something wrong here. So, um, one second, pulling it up now. Basically, it says, and this is a quote that the appellant violated the rules set forth in the penalty notice. So they acknowledged the fact that they're was wrongdoing here, but they took the points penalty away. So, at the end of the day, I don't I don't really understand why they did that. It's disappointing um, to me. It promotes the fact that teams will probably try to push the envelope because you know if this is the precedent that's set, you're only going to get a full race suspension, which in my mind is meaningless in today's day and age. And for these team owners who are all multimillionaires. Four hundred thousand dollars for four crew chiefs—it's really nothing. So, yeah, I highly disappointed in this decision. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Do we still have well, you, Jay? Whoops. Oh, okay. You do. You do. If I unmute myself, um, okay. I don't. I'm trying to think of the words Andy used there. I don't know if disappointed is the right word. Uh, I'm a little frustrated by it and a little confused by it um, are the two words I'd use. Uh, the confusion is, is, and Andy Petrie said it on Race Hub, you're either guilty or you're not. You either got the penalty or you didn't. You did wrong or you didn't. And as Andy pointed out, they're saying, yeah, they did, but we're not going to um, keep the penalty the way it is. Now, to me, that means there's something not quite right on NASCAR's uh, side as far as what the penalty was and what the repercussions, uh, not, or what the allegation was of what they did wrong, along with the penalty they issued. And this goes back to uh, last year as well. There were several where the points penalty was taken away. So NASCAR is just saying they did this wrong and this is the penalty, but apparently they can't penalize points, or the appeals board is feeling that per the rule book and the way it's written, that they can't penalize points for what was done wrong. Uh, and that's where the frustration comes in because, as Andy said, that's where the penalty is going to hurt the most um, for these teams. And I know Andy Petrie mentioned it of it's kind of taking it out of NASCAR's hands to govern the sport. So 
I don't know what was said in the appeals board, and as I mentioned to Sharon in our chat room, I don't know that we ever will. It's kind of one of those after everything gets said and done, neither side will talk about it um, as to what was said or how it was done, and I understand both sides to it. Uh, NASCAR obviously doesn't want teams to know how they can get away with these things by um, bringing certain things to the appeals board. But as fans, you know, it's left us really confused and frustrated, like Andy said, disappointed um, for several reasons. So there's a lot to it, and I'm just not sure I fully understand all of it. Um, as he said, of you know, we know that their Hendrick Motorsports' main stance was that there was some miscommunication. And the only thing I can do is speculate that the rule book says that yeah, you can't modify the parts without prior approval from NASCAR. I would assume HMS went to them, didn't necessarily get approval, but didn't get told no, so they were aware of it. And I think that's maybe where it comes into play, that the appeals board said, hey, you were aware of it and didn't stop them, but yet you didn't tell them it was okay. You know, So that's where I kind of get the, I think, I think anyway, personally, the confusion was, was whether or not they had approval to do it. Yeah. I say if you haven't heard from them, you don't have a, approval. And I am all of the things you guys listed. I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed, and I'm confused as to why the appeals panel would would say, we know they violated the rule, <clears throat> but we're going to rescind the points. Uh, in NASCAR's statement, they say, we are pleased that the National Motorsports Appeal Panel agreed that Hendrick Motorsports violated the rule book. However, we are disappointed that the entirety of the penalty was not upheld. A points penalty is a strong deterrent that is necessary to govern the garage following rule book violations, and we believe that it was an important part of the penalty in this case. And moving forward, <clears throat> and moving forward we will continue to inspect and officiate the NASCAR garage at the highest level of scrutiny to ensure a fair and level playing field for our fans and the entire garage. Now, here's the one thing for us to all remember, that there's a three-panel appeals uh, board that Hendrick Motorsports uh, spoke in front of. Um, next week, when Colleague Racing goes through their appeal process, it will also be a three-person panel, but it will be different people on that panel. So it could be an entirely different result. Um, I cannot understand, and this is where my confusion comes in, and I wish they could um, uh, clarify this for us, but uh, it, it most likely won't happen unless Hendrick says something, uh, and then we're only getting one side of the story. But I do not understand where the miscommunication took place. I truly, honestly believe that if you asked for approval and you have not heard back from NASCAR, it is fair to assume that it has not been approved, therefore you do not do it. What is the miscommunication there? I, I don't get it. As far as the way the uh, ruling is stated by NASCAR, I think there's no miscommunication there either. Uh, it was the same rule for Brad Keselowski when he had his penalty, and it was upheld by his three-person panel. Uh, it leads me to believe <laughs> that um, uh, there is something else going on here. Uh, and I, I really um, respect the process. 
Um, but I, I, just the fact that they admitted that there was a rules violation but did not uphold NASCAR's position on that where it counted the most uh, is very, very frustrating, and I'm sure it's frustrating for NASCAR as well. It's frustrating for me as a fan. One of the things that we enjoy watching is that when something like this happens, how do teams respond to the difficulty and the challenge before them? We saw Kyle Busch miss 11 races and still win a championship. Um, that's kind of a, an extreme example. He missed 11 races and still made it into the championship. This year, there's not even a um, point standing requirement for the championship um, uh, contention, for the playoff contention qualification. So they can be anywhere in the point standing. As long as they have a win, they can still qualify for the um, playoffs. So why they felt that this points change was necessary uh, just baffles me to no end. And it is frustrating, again, to no end. Uh, I agree with Andy that it just doesn't make sense. And uh, I wish I wish there was a way for NASCAR or the uh, appeals board to make a statement. I know that they especially don't want to do that when there's another similar uh, appeal still pending. But I would think <laughs> um, that the fans deserve to kind of hear uh, what the reasoning is for appealing those points uh, or rescinding those points. I think that was the most significant part of the penalty and the one that means the most, which is exactly why Hendrick appealed it. Um, so whatever word crafting they're doing for miscommunication, uh, I'm totally opposed to it, and I think it's wrong. <laughs> Tommy, your thoughts? So. My favorite driver growing up was Jeff Gordon, and now my favorite driver is William Byron, but mostly because he's in a 24 car. So I am, I guess you could say I'm a Hendrick Motorsports fan. But from the outside looking in on this, because last year when RFK was penalized, uh, Roush Fenway Kozlowski and Front Row Motorsports, and I believe there was another team that got fined like Calling. Those suspensions and fines and points deductions were upheld. And I believe last year when Hendrick got fined and suspended and had um, uh-huh. had another had another similar situation like this, once again it was the the fines stood and the crew chief suspension stood, but the points deduction was reduced again or completely taken away, just like this situation. So from the outside looking in, it does look like that NASCAR is playing favorites and Hendrick Motorsports is the favorite. But then again, if you think about it for like the last 20 or 30 years, that's what everybody says, that Hendrick Motorsports and Chevy ruined NASCAR and all this other crap, and Dale Earnhardt ruined it because he was a Chevy driver too. But, so, I mean, people are going to say what they're going to say. But I have to say the last two years, though, with Hendrick Motorsports and then getting fines and suspensions and points taken away from them, 
they always do get those points back somehow, but the signs and suspensions stay. And we all know Hendrick Motorsports, uh, that money is pocket change to them. So not a big deal to, to find them. And, and obviously suspending the crew chief for four races doesn't matter because William Byron and Kyle Larson and Bowman are still competing in the top five every week, even with their crew chief not on top of the pit box. So pretty much a slap on the wrist, and they keep on going and wouldn't be surprised if all three cars make the playoffs and when Chase Elliott comes back, all four of them are in the top 16. But, you know... Well, didn't Trackhouse get in trouble last year or this year, too? Or, or nothing about Suarez getting that 50K penalty right now? But but either way, just from the outside looking in, it does look like favorites are being played and the Hendrick Motorsports is, is getting away with another one. But all I want is a little bit more clarification and miscommunication. I mean, it's just always, it's always something. I mean, just... Can't you give us more details than that other than miscommunication? I mean, I don't know. It's just RFKs was upheld, front road motorsports was upheld, Collings was upheld, and two years in a row, Hendrick Motorsports, and it wasn't upheld. So just looks suspicious. Okay, Andy, your follow-up? I think what, what concerns me the most is that um, – you know, you're you're potentially opening Pandora's box here. You know, if this precedent is set that a, a penalty like this will get the pi- the points, re- you know, restored, but all you're going to have to endure is a crew chief suspension and a monetary fine, it worries me that this will cause teams to start pushing the envelope and, and we may see more instances of, of modified, you know, um, parts from these these vendors, and you know if if they think you know for a second that the only penalty is that the crew chief gets to call the race from the shop, and the team owner who's a multimillionaire has to pay a hundred thousand dollar fine or whatever, I'm worried that this is now going to become a thing, you know, and I think that you know the whole idea in the off season, you know was that they they tried to make the penalties more severe. And this also goes back to last year as well, where NASCAR really took a a stance of, if you modify these vendor-supplied parts, we're going to come down on you. But, you know, if you're going to have appeals committees come out and say, you know, it's fine, just just pay the fine and, you know, your crew chief can call the race from the shop, but but your points are restored. It really worries me that we're going to start seeing more and more of these teams push the envelope and and have this become a thing. And as we've talked about before, and certainly my stance is, I don't like seeing, you know, constant penalties and, and constant manipulation of the rules. I don't care for it. I don't like it when it's my own team. I certainly don't like it when other people do it. So I just hope that this isn't, you know, the opening of something, you know, that becomes a more common theme because I, you know, you don't like to see these types of things, you know, be an issue. And, and make no mistake, I, I, I don't think that what took place really, you know, caused the Hendrick cars to be magically better. I think they're just good on their own anyway. You know, certainly hood vents I don't think really made or break, you know, made or, or you know, had any negative effect or, or a positive effect on that race weekend at Phoenix. I, I really don't think it made a difference at all, but 
you know, it's in the news and they got caught for it, you know, there needs to be some kind of penalty for that. And, and really, you know, they, they, in my mind, the appeals committee took that penalty away. What, what really hurt the most, and that was the points. And so, um, I'm just concerned that you know the the stage has been set for teams to to maybe start pushing the envelope if they think that they're really not going to have much of a penalty. And it also makes me wonder what's going to happen to Colleague Racing. They were penalized for the exact same thing. You know, it's almost as if the decision that was made this week for Hendrick Motorsports has to happen to call league racing next week, even if it is a completely different committee because the precedent's been set, you know? And so if you let Hendrick off with just a, a monetary fine and a crew chief suspension, but you, you upheld, you uphold the penalty for colleague, then there's major inconsistencies there. So, I mean, we don't obviously know what's going to happen yet, but I feel like the decision that was made this week almost has to have some kind of an influence on next week's decision as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I I really feel like you've got to to rule with an iron fist as it pertains to modifying these vendor supplied parts or otherwise you're going to you're going to start to see problems become more of an issue and and I really hope we don't go down that road. Okay. Well, Andy, Andy was using some words I wanted to use there, but then he put out the whole exact thing of what I was going to say. Sharon first mentioned it. Next week's hearing with College Racing is a th- different three-person panel. And again, they're separate from NASCAR. And I would have said the word scared based on what might happen there. As Andy just said, if that three-person panel says, no, the penalty is where it should be and we leave it all the same, you're going to open Pandora's box in a huge massive way um because then you got two penalties the same but two different panels uh view it differently so that i really has got me scared now um because it absolutely could as as you mentioned it's three different people on that panel and if they say no nascar said hey here's the penalty here's the point that's the way it should be but yet hms didn't get it uh, that's going to be ugly, uh, and I don't want to go down that road yet. We've got to wait and see what happens, but um, that would really be a bad, bad thing if that were to happen. The only thing I can think of, again, of my own personal speculation, is one of the things that was mentioned was that the one supply provider of said parts, which the drivers and teams teams have to use, aren't providing the appropriate specs that were approved and defined by NASCAR, I think HMS is saying, hey, where's your responsibility? And I think Mike put it on the message board. You'll wise it on the teams. They have to go to these providers. If these providers aren't providing what they're supposed to, they have no pull. NASCAR has to step in and say, hey, if you're not going to provide what we ask for, we're going to find somebody else or go back to letting them do it on their own, and you're not going to get any money. Uh, that, too, might come into play as far as what their role in is of what's being provided if that might be why the uh, appeals board at this point said okay you know nascar has some responsibility don't take points however the parts were still illegal and the teams were able to find legal ones from other teams they have a part in this too so that's why the monetary and the uh, suspensions help i don't know that but i know that was one of the issues was that they felt these Single source suppliers were not providing what they were supposed to, and if teams can't influence them to make that change, then NASCAR has a role in it as well. So, 
it's it's an interesting thing that I don't think is over yet. Obviously not with the uh, college racing appeal yet to be heard. Yeah, I agree with you guys in a lot of what you're saying with regard to the college racing uh, appeal that's coming up next week. We'll have to wait and see what happens there before we respond to it. But um, here's the thing. They came to the track, excuse me, they came to the track with the illegal parts on all four race cars. Had they not been confiscated, they would have raced with those illegal parts on the car. Um, NASCAR set up precedence last year with the lug nuts. When everybody was saying we're getting faulty lug nuts, NASCAR said it's your responsibility to weed out the faulty ones and make sure that you are bringing to the track the spec pieces, the spec parts that you're supposed to be using. The same thing holds true here. It's your responsibility to make sure that if you get an in, uh, 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 spec part that is not up to the specs of NASCAR, then you need to go back to the vendor and address it with the vendor. Now, I know that the teams want NASCAR to take a role in that, but think about it. If NASCAR gets involved in all of that, they do need to, there needs to be a race team alliance that goes back to these vendors and pushes back really hard on those vendors that are not going through some kind of a quality control process uh, to put out the correct spec pieces to, according to NASCAR's requirements. But, again, they came to the rec- racetrack with illegal parts on their car. When NASCAR confiscated those parts, they found a way to find the spec parts to put on all four race cars. Why couldn't they have done that before they came to the track, according to NASCAR's rules? Um, NASCAR's rule is you cannot come to the track with an illegal part on your car. It doesn't say whether you race it or not or practice with it or not. You cannot come to the track with an illegal part on your car. It's very clear communication. Um, and I, I, I just don't get it. Um, again, I think they're uh, really taking some of the control out of NASCAR's hands as far as enforcing uh, a penalty that means something to these teams. But I agree with you guys. If next week they uphold the penalty against college, is going to open up another can of worms saying that there is favoritism for Hendrick Motorsports, especially given the track record that two of their penalties have been rescinded. Um, so I, I am very um, disappointed, <laughs> confused, frustrated, and uh, we need to see more consistency uh, with the appeals panel with regard to how these rules are enforced. And I think there needs to be an understanding of where NASCAR is coming from by assessing the points penalty. I would rather see him take away the financial part of the penalty than to take away the points part of the penalty. But to me, it's Hendrick Motorsports buying their way out of it. We'll pay the points. We'll pay the financial part of it, give us our points back, even though we violated the rules. That's wrong. Tommy. 
Yeah, I don't really have much to add here other than, I mean, I'm still going to be pulling for the 24 car next week, but it still does look very suspicious that Hendrick has had two of these um, penalties uh, lifted and the fines and the suspensions have stayed. But like you guys are saying, next week if calling and it's upheld, then we'll really know that it is a favorite, it's favoritism type of thing. Maybe Hendrick runs NASCAR behind the scenes. Maybe that's a conspiracy theory that will start circling around. But, um, you know, like I said, too, people have been saying for 20 or 30 years that Hendrick Motorsports is the reason why NASCAR isn't as good as it used to be. So people are still going to talk and chirp and do what they do. But it definitely will look suspicious if, Callings penalty next week is upheld, and that if Hendrick has another penalty this year, and it gets reduced again, or you know they rescind the penalty or whatever, then I guess we'll have our answer. But either way, I just want more clarification other than miscommunication. Oh yeah, I agree, and I, I think the real shame of all of this is it makes fans not want to see Hendrick Motorsports win the championship, and I think that's sad. Um, we know that they violated the NASCAR's rules because it's clearly stated by the appeals panel that the rules was violated, and now they have a chance to go after that championship. So again, it's it, we'll see what happens. Um, uh, Andy, you're up for the next hot topic. All right, before we do that, Sharon, did you want to chime in real quick? Thank you very much. Yes, sir, I do. It is that time of the evening where we do an announcement for our first-time listeners. Uh, we just want to let you know that we are going to go out there at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, but we are going to continue our conversation and the part of our conversation that goes past that 1030 mark will be recorded and available as part of our podcast as bonus overtime material. Now, I'll go out on Twitter when we're done here tonight, and I will let you know uh, when that podcast is available so that you can then go to the player that we have posted at fanforacing.com and just fast forward to the two-hour mark to be able to hear the rest of our conversation. Again, we don't want to have anybody be taken off guard with us continuing our conversation mid-sentence when we go off air and not know how you can hear the rest of that conversation, which is why we make the announcement at this time of the night. So thank you, Andy. Uh, You can proceed with our next hot topic. All right, sounds good. Um, Daniel Torres uh, was fined $50,000 after he ran into Alex Bowman and Ross Chastain at the conclusion of the race last weekend at Circuit of the Americas. Okay. Uh, Jay, your thoughts about the uh, uh, penalty for Daniel Suarez? This is one that that was a little surprising, and I think Clint Boyer said it on Race Hub, uh, that Daniel Suarez ought to be thankful that it wasn't a little bit heftier. Now, again, I don't know the correlation from what they listed as Daniel Suarez's penalty. Uh, okay, I see it pulling up here. Um, using his car, bumping into, running into somebody on pit road after the race or during in such a location as to what the possible penalty could have been. But it surprises me that it was. It was $50,000 uh, fine, 
which, as we've said, money, money really at this point to these top teams isn't anything but a slap on the wrist. Uh, understand it was not a heavy hit. We talked about that on Monday, but it could have been so much more dangerous. And this is one of those where NASCAR had said, we want none of it, period. Don't do it. Uh, to not see it involve a points penalty and or possible suspension. I think maybe a one-race suspension would have been a little bit on the heavy side, but as NASCAR said in their previous statement, they want to use something that's going to make a point. And I don't think $50,000 really is making the point they want to make. So I agree. I think it was a little light. I don't know if it was within their realm of issuing a points penalty, which would probably get rescinded anyway based on history. No. Um, it kind of ties in, but I really expected to be to, for it to be a little bit heftier, even if it was on the monetary side, to be up in the hundred thousand or two hundred thousand um, for sure, just because of how serious they want drivers to take this on pit road, especially. Okay, Tommy. Yeah, um, I saw the video on Twitter after after the race. I mean. I'm surprised that there wasn't more driver drama than Suarez. I mean, the coda that last hour, like, I feel like the last 10 laps from lasted from, like, 6.30 to 7.30, which I'm in Eastern time, but I feel like the last five laps of that race lasted an hour. Guys clobbering each other, wrecks, debris, uh, you know, there's going to be so much driver beefs this year with the way they're they're racing right now. I mean, there's not going to be anybody with any friends. But last year, Ty Gibbs got in trouble in Texas for hitting Ty Dillon on pit road because he almost hit a pit crew member or something like that, which is really dangerous because, you know, had they had hit that pit crew member, you know, he would have been either hurt or, like, severely hurt or worse, you know, death. But... So, and, I mean, Suarez, if you saw, if y'all saw the video, he did come flying in there after, I mean, he moved his old teammate out of the way and then rammed Bowman right there in front of the official. I mean, you know, we've seen Tony Stewart and Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch do that kind of stuff before. I mean, while it's entertaining, is it not safe? No, it doesn't make good drama. Yes, and all that and stuff. But I'm just surprised there's not more. I mean, it's... The, like the last three or four races have been filled with nothing but drama. I think Atlanta, um, Coda, just you know, we're, we're we're this is we're about to see a Carl Ed, Carl Edwards Brackislowski thing going on. Honestly, where guys are just taking each other out on the track because of how angry they are with how they've been raced in the past. Um, and Suarez even moved Chastain out of the way, and that's his teammate. <laughs> so. It's just crazy, but yeah, fifty thousand dollars. You know, that's a pretty, pretty good fine, I guess. But like Jay said, you know, I'm surprised it's not more because I think that it was more for Ty Gibbs last year. I think it was like seventy-five or a hundred. Um, I just don't know. I mean, you know, the only way I can think of to get rid of guys acting like that is is don't let them clobber each other on restarts like they have in the last two or three races. But I don't think that's going to stop because it's making for good good talking points and drama and entertainment but at the same time um nascar can't really say anything when these guys start taking each other out on the track yeah you bring up some good points there uh tommy uh it is like now in this case 
I understand why the Daniel Suarez uh, penalty was at 50K, while the Ty Gibbs penalty was at 75K. And I think he, I think he also got a one-race suspension, Ty Gibbs, last year. Uh, and that was because it was Ty Gibbs' second offense. I think the first time he used his car, I can't remember exactly what the circumstances were, but I think he also had a $50,000 fine uh, and no race suspension. But uh, this was uh, Daniel Suarez's first offense, and that's why it was as light as it was. Uh, and Ty Gibbs uh, had repeat situations, and so they really wanted to make a point for him. Plus, I think those hits were a little bit harder uh, from Ty Gibbs than they were from Daniel Suarez. So, yeah, I agree with you guys. It was a slap on the hand. Uh, if Daniel ha- if Daniel Suarez makes this a habit and starts using his car in that way after more races, then NASCAR has every reason to come down much harder on him and suspend him from uh, the race. Um, I know that NASCAR wants to make a statement here, and I think, you know, with a driver like Daniel Suarez, I think that statement has been made. I know some people are worried that because it's just 50K, it's going to uh, encourage other drivers to use their car as a weapon on the track. Uh, we'll have to find out and see if that happens. I hope it doesn't <laughs> for the sake of uh, people that are are uh, involved with working at the track and drivers. But um, I do understand why it was a little bit lighter than the penalty for Ty Gibbs last year, again, because it was a first offense. Um, well, I don't agree with it. I don't condone it. I think what Daniel Suarez did was absolutely wrong uh, and that he should never do it again. So we'll have to see. Um yeah, he got the seventy-five thousand uh, dollar penalty. His penalty was higher. And does it say he was suspended, Jay? He just sent me the uh, article. No, he was not. It, no, it was not a suspension, but it was a twenty-five uh, championship point uh, deduction. Oh, he had the points taken away. Okay, that's what it was. They did take points away from him. It wasn't a suspension, but it was the 25 points that they took away from him for that second offense. So um, I think that's the difference here between those two penalties. And, uh, Andy, I guess I'll hand it off to you for your thoughts. Yeah, you know, I I just I don't have a whole lot to say about this, but I do think that a $50,000 penalty is a bit of a slap on the wrist. Um, you know, I, I think I didn't see what Boyer said the other day, but I would tend to agree that, uh, Daniel's probably lucky that it wasn't worse than it was as far as the penalty is concerned. I, I think I would have liked to have seen it be just a little bit more, I'm not saying something astronomical, but certainly make it get their attention. And I'm not sure that $50,000 to a cup series driver really gets their attention. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just think that it was kind of a slap on the wrist as far as the penalty could have been. You know, hitting someone on the cool-down lap, as we've talked about, is kind of a no-no. So another disappointing penalty, I guess, or a disappointing decision. But, um, I mean, at the same time, you know, maybe maybe they talk to him and, and hopefully he doesn't do it again. I can certainly understand his frustration after the race. You know, he got dumped while racing 
for a good finish and certainly can understand why he felt the way that he did. I don't fault him there, but the the penalty was, was really a non-penalty, and, and I, I think that they probably could have made it a little bit worse than it was. I'm not even saying points necessarily, but, you know, maybe make it a, a, a really tough financial penalty or, you know, even, you know, sit him out of race. I don't know. I mean, I probably don't have the right answer as far as this goes, but um, certainly when you look at it, it's, it's really not much of a penalty, and I'm not sure that it really conveys the point that NASCAR is trying to make. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Well, and I, and I did a quick scan of that that article. Uh, I don't know that he had had a previous penalty for it, but he obviously did have his issues throughout the entire season um, as to how he conducted himself. I do think it has does have to do with, we talked about it, it appeared to be a rather light bump, not a door slam is what we saw with uh, Ty Dillinger spinning him out. Um, so I don't know if that came into play. Again, we don't have that clarification. Um, as well as not just the past history. Um, Daniel Suarez has normally not involved in anything like this, let alone with a teammate. The one thing uh, Andy mentioned, though, of, when, and it's been talked about with several of them, I think Ryan Blaney mentioned it, mentioned it in his interview that we listened to tonight. When you go back and look at it, it's not Alex's Bowman's fault. It's not Ross, Cam- Ross Chastain's fault it's two or three drivers behind them that start it. And it's all drivers. I mean, they go into that corner in a pack. How do you pick out other than the one that bumped into you? But uh, I think of it, and we saw the race win last year by Ross Chastain, a pool shot. It's a combo event. So they're not even upset with the right person because it really did start a couple rows back by different drivers. I believe in this case, not to call Andy's driver out, but I think it was Chase Briscoe that started that one four rows back. Um, but I do, I still do think it was a little light on the penalty. If it had been 10, 15 driver points or even 75 or a hundred thousand on the monetary side of make it really, really hurt and be understood. This is not going to be tolerated. Okay. Um, there's a post here from, am I next? No, Tommy, you're next. I'm sorry. You go ahead. Well, I don't really have much to add to it other than, um, you know, payback is going to be dished out in the next coming races. And, I mean, I I guess Chastain, as far as even other teammates, they're not really teammates. I guess it's a Ricky Rudd, Dale Earnhardt, or a Dale Dale Earnhardt, Mike Skinner situation. But like Jay actually said, I did see that replay too. And Bowman and Chastain had nothing to do with why Suarez. I mean, I get why Suarez was, was mad, but I mean, they had nothing to do with it. I mean, that turn one at Coda with all those restarts is just madness. And I don't know how they do it. Like, I really don't know how any any of them make that turn, unless if you're the guy in the front. Even then, if you mess up, you can get dumped from the number one position. So. But it just wasn't smart for him to ram Bowman right there in front of the official. Uh, But I did, like y'all just said, too, and it made me think about it. Suarez, well, he's never really in trouble. So, I mean, maybe that's why he only got uh, the 50K fine and what was it, like 25 points. But um, that's not as hefty as, uh, as some penalties. But, I mean, either way, we're going to see some drama this year with the way it's been the, these first couple races. That's all I got to say. 
Yes, indeed. Um, going back to the penalty itself and Ty Gibbs fine for 75 on Pitt Road, as well as the 25 points deduction, according to Pop, Bob Parkris in a post that he put out, uh, he said that Ty Gibbs was fined the 75K uh, and the team docked 25 owner points when he had intentional contact with Dylan during the uh, Texas race last year. One reason his was so much was because uh, he had already been fined for post-race pit road actions at Martinsville in the Xfinity Series. So it was his second offense, and um, that's why he got that tougher penalty. But um, I, I agree with everything that you guys have said as well. Uh, there's no reason, uh, you know, a lot of drivers who this has happened to at the road courses, uh, when they go back and they see the video, uh, Kevin Harvick said it at the track this weekend that he was mad at somebody uh, for hitting him in the back. And then he said when he saw the video, he realized it was two or three cars or maybe even more than that cars behind that guy that actually caused him, the guy immediately behind him, to hit him. So uh, Daniel Suarez, I'm sure, saw the same thing when he saw the replay. And uh, I hope he made some apologies to both Bowman and his teammate as a result of that. But I think one of the reasons he reacted is I know uh, Ross has a um, – reputation of being a very aggressive driver and uh, I'm sure you know without seeing that video footage uh, I'm sure that's that's part of the reason uh, for Daniel to react that quickly but part of it is that they're frustrated there's three overtime events and he's not the only driver that was frustrated uh, after that race, there were a lot of drivers extremely frustrated. They were hot. They were upset that they had those three restarts where they had to all pile dive into that first turn, and it was just a free-for-all, and nobody has any control of their car at that point. Uh, and it's whoever can get out of that mess the quickest is the one that prevails. Or Ty Gibbs, who is at the front of that pack, uh, can get out in front of it and not be a part of it. So um, I know that one thing that was encouraging, and, and Jay and I heard this on part of the media interview that Ryan Blaney had with the media this week, uh, he said that the drivers are talking about it and what they can do uh, differently uh, for the future. Now, whether or not that materializes in anything specific, I'm not sure. We'll have to wait and see. But I know a lot of drivers have said we have to sometimes be saved from ourselves. And I think this is a case of, of one of those instances where the drivers need to be saved from themselves uh, when it comes to these late race overtime restarts uh, where they're they're creating this kind of frustration amongst themselves. So really, it's not one driver. It's all of them doing what they feel they have to do to be able to survive at the end of these races. Um, so something has to be done. What that is is a little bit harder uh, to come up with. 
but uh, there's a lot of ideas out there, and I hope they come up with the idea that works uh, because this frustration is not a healthy thing. And NASCAR, yes, we're an entertainment industry, but they have to decide what kind of face do they want to have as an entertainment industry. Do they want it to be drivers being frustrated at the end of these races, calling each other names and, and pushing and shoving each other? I don't think so. <laughs> I hope not, anyway. Andy? Yeah, you know, I I tend to agree, Sharon. You know, I don't really have much to say in addition to, to Daniel's penalty. I think that, you know, they, they let him off pretty easily, you know. But, uh, you know, to your point, it's not like he's a he's a constant offender of these types of issues. But, you know, I think the greater issue would be, you know, these road course races, you know, and, and, and what we see moving forward. And, yeah, the end of it, – it's a shame because the end of that race was – was disappointing in comparison to the entire event, which I thought was really good. You know, I said it Monday that Mike and I were hoping that it went green at the end because that, to me, would have been far more compelling than, you know, bumper car restarts, you know. So it, it, um, it, it'll it be interesting to see, you know, if anything changes moving forward. Um, I think the problem, you know, and so this is a slightly off topic, but it still pertains to the whole mess at the end of these road course races, is that these drivers have figured out the durability of this new cup car that it's really good compared to the old car, so they've figured out that they can beat and bang and, and you know, the car's still good moving forward and you know, until you know, you know I, I don't know what it's gonna take to cool some of these guys down, but you know, the I think part of the problem is, you know, if 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 a driver chooses to be cautious and, and timid on a restart, they're going to get wrecked or they're going to get run over. So it's almost like everybody's in the position of having to be extremely aggressive, you know. But, um, you know, so we'll see what happens with that. But that's a whole different topic, I guess. But as far as Daniel goes, yeah, he got off pretty easily. Um, you know, I, I totally get why he felt the way that he did, you know. And, and ultimately, you know, he's not someone that you see put themselves in this kind of spotlight on a weekly basis. So, um Obviously, they they gave him a fine. He'll move on from that, and and this week's a whole new week. And you know, like I said, he's not really someone you see do these kinds of things on a on a constant basis. Okay, um, I really encourage everybody to go back and hear what uh, Ryan Blaney said about this because I think he said a couple of tongue in cheek kind of ideas for how NASCAR can fix it. So it's kind of a fun listen. Okay, um, Jay. Do you have a quick one here, or should we go in our, into our roundtable? No, I, a couple things here, uh, Sharon. You took the words out of my mouth. I think Andy might have listened to Ryan Blaney's interview that we that we had on earlier tonight because that was almost exactly what he said when it comes to that. Um, <laughs> the one, unfortunately, I think tonight has all been about penalties. The last one I'd like to cover tonight is Josh Williams had the one-race suspension for parking and leaving his car at Atlanta Motor Speedway and walking off, took the penalty. Uh, somebody else, Alex LeBay, was in the car at Coda, but he did get granted a waiver for the playoffs. Mr. Race, he will be granted a waiver, so if he can still manage to get in contention in a position for the playoffs, he is granted a waiver and can still make the playoffs. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts about that? I'm sorry, I think I missed the, the hot topic. What was it again? 
that uh, Josh Williams was granted a waiver for playoff contention, even though he had that penalty from his uh, situation a few weeks ago. Oh, from parking on the finish line? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it was only one race, so, I mean, and – not to say anything bad about his situation, but it's not like he's in top-tier equipment, so him making the playoffs is less likely anyway. But um, that was just another entertaining thing. I mean, he didn't agree with something, and he parked it on the finish line. Was it funny? Yes. Should he have done it? No. Um, I think he even got a sponsor out of it, and ironically, I think it was like a – a parking sponsor, like a parking deck or a parking space or something like that. So I guess that worked out for him. Um, he is a character. That is the good thing that he's got going. The best part of it, though, of that whole situation to me was when he was like, where are they going to do find me? Can't afford to pay it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, I mean, I, I don't really have much to, to say on that one calls. Like I said, the chances of him making the playoffs are pretty unlikely. So, and it was just only one race, but you know, just an entertaining story. Just park it on the finish line next time. <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> just kidding. Andy, you know, as much as I, you know, supported Josh when this took place, you know, because of the frustration that ensued from that race, I am a bit surprised that a playoff waiver was granted here. This wasn't the result of an off-track injury or an on-track injury or an illness. This was the result of, you know, a poor decision that was made during a race, which resulted in the suspension. So I'm a bit surprised that a waiver would be granted. To Tommy's point, you know, who knows if, if he's really going to be a contender for the playoffs or not, maybe on a super speedway, but... Uh, nonetheless, I'm a bit surprised that NASCAR would suspend somebody for a behavioral, you know, in a poor decision, a behavioral issue in a poor decision that was made, but then at the same time grant them a playoff waiver. So I find that interesting um, that they would do that, you know, and like I said, I totally get why he did it in the first place. You know, I, I understood the frustration. It was It was a difficult race, you know, as far as, you know, the race officiating was concerned. So I totally understood why Josh did what he did. But, you know, at the same time, what he did resulted in a penalty that was warranted. I I certainly don't fault the penalty. Um, but it's, it's interesting to me that you would grant a waiver due to a behavioral penalty that resulted in a, in a suspension. So it's interesting to me that, that they would do that. Um, will it become you know, relevant, I don't know. It's hard to say, but uh, certainly a very interesting decision, not something I expected NASCAR to do. Okay, yeah, I would agree. I'm very surprised that NASCAR did this. I'm looking to see where he currently stands in the series point standings. He's in the Xfinity series. Yeah, there he is. Josh Williams is 22nd in the series point standings after, even though he missed that one race. Uh, So he was probably a little bit higher up before he lost that race. Um, Here's the thing, and where I think there's a little bit of inconsistency here with what NASCAR has been doing. Remember Grant Infinger, 
Brenton Finger missed one race last year in the was it last year in the truck series, and uh, NASCAR refused to grant him a waiver, even though he would have been eligible to be in the playoffs. If I'm Grant Infinger, <laughs> and he did everything he possibly could to try to get that other race filled, he just couldn't do it. Um, he did it for the rest of the year, the remaining 25 races, and NASCAR did not grant him a waiver. Why in the world they didn't do it, I don't understand it, but I feel the same way about the Josh Williams thing. Why would you grant him a waiver and not grant it to Grant Infinger? Um I, I, again, and I'm not usually one to to kind of uh, hang on NASCAR's inconsistency, but it's become really, really apparent, uh, the inconsistency in these cases. Now, one thing that I do want to keep in mind is, is when that happened with Grant Infinger, I think uh, Scott Miller was still the VP of uh, racing of competition, and now we have Elton Sawyer. So there is a different management at the head. But, my goodness, <laughs> uh, the, the, this is really doesn't make sense in the, either one of these cases, why they would grant the waiver for Josh Williams and not grant that waiver for Grant Infinger. I don't get it. Jay? Well, I, I don't want to put any extra words in Mike's mouth, so I'm going to just read his after he posted it. He said, uh, huge surprise here, in my opinion. Grant Infinger must be livid right now. Um, but I think we kind of have the same viewpoint as Sharon and Andy, and as, as both as well as Tommy, of kind of surprising. Um, and you did a great job of laying out the deal with uh, Grant Infinger, which is my biggest issue because I felt that was so wrong. Um, I mean, he tried, I believe, to suggested putting a, a wagon with four wheels on it and just let him do one lap, you know, just to get credit for attempting to start that race, which is the rule for qualification. Um, I don't know if that is one that NASCAR maybe looked back on and said, hey, we made the wrong decision there. Uh, I don't know. That wasn't included in their post here. But I'd also struggle with the fact of this was for a behavioral thing. Um, so there are, I can struggle with it a little bit being that it was the behavioral. However, especially with the team that it is and the driver, uh, I hate the, when you can't do a penalty based on who it is or where they're at in points, whether it's going to affect them for the playoffs or not to make that decision. I don't agree with that, but it does make it harder on him, especially in the case of he is most likely going to have to point his way in or win that one race. And they just truthfully aren't in that position. So it does hurt him by the points missed by the one race. I get that. You made it harder on him. Um, but like I said, on the other hand, you had somebody that did, didn't do anything behavioral wrong and actually tried to do everything they possibly could to meet that one race still was in position in points within the top uh, 10, I believe, in the truck series to have qualified, however, missed the one race and was not granted it. So I hate to see that, um, but moving forward, again, this is kind of setting that precedence of, okay, you can misbehave and be suspended, but yet still make the playoffs. I'm not sure that's the message they want to send either. You know, uh, It's a tough one, and I am a little bit surprised by it. 
as much as I like Josh Williams, who he is, that team, and what they're doing and trying to build, I appreciate that. But, again, it's the precedence that could be set. And I'll take Kyle Busch or Chase Elliott, whichever the case may be, um, act out like that, get suspended for behavior, yet still be rewarded by being able to make the playoffs. Okay, Tommy, your follow-up? I don't have much to add other than I thought it was pretty funny, but um, I highly doubt that he makes the playoffs, so I don't really think the one-race suspension matters. That's just my opinion, though. Okay. Go ahead. That was it. Okay. Andy? Yeah, real quick, you know, I I can't help but think of Grant Enfinger, you know, who missed a race – be, due to the hardship of, of sponsorship and, and not being able to run a race, you know, I think that was a year in which he ran part-time for Thor Sport and then ran, you know, a limited schedule for another team, you know. So he misses a race based off of, you know, a, a hardship of not being able to run all the races and they don't grant him a waiver. And then you see a driver who, you know, gets suspended due to a, a behavioral issue and a, and a poor decision, and, and they get a waiver. So it makes me scratch my head a bit. I guess tonight's hot topic sound off. The theme is our heads are being scratched a lot because a lot of decisions <laughs> this week have been kind of kind of interesting, to say the least, you know, but it is what it is. I, I feel for – certainly makes you feel for, for Grant in the situation that he was in a couple of years ago. You know, good for Josh, I guess. You know, like Tommy said, not sure if it'll really, you know – come to fruition as far as his playoff chances or not. I don't know, but um, yeah, interesting, interesting decisions this week. And, you know, I suspect this will continue, you know, with the colleague decision next week, as far as these penalties go. And, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to say the least, but um, certainly been, uh, been a kind of a, kind of an interesting week with penalties and, and um, things getting turned around and, and whatnot. And I don't know, it's, I don't know if it's a full moon or what, but it's been, it's been kind of crazy. <laughs> It has been. And let me be clear, I like Josh Williams, too. It has, um, I think it's more uh, frustrating, and I agree with you, Tommy, he probably isn't going to make it into the playoffs anyway. Who knows? But I think it's more the message that NASCAR is sending by uh, giving him a waiver for a behavioral incident on the track. Um, I think it opens the door for other people to misbehave on the track and assume that they're going to get their penalty, they're going to be uh, waived to contend for the championship anyway. So that's more my concern with it, plus the inconsistency with what they did with Grant Infinger uh, and not giving him a waiver to compete for the championship uh, and his had nothing to do with a behavioral incident on the track. So that's, that's my only beat. Nothing to do with Josh Williams as a person. I like him. I think he is uh, uh, a good guy and everything. He just made a very bad decision to do what he did. As popular as it was with the fans, it still wasn't a very good decision because uh, it, it could have um, – it did pose an issue of safety uh, on the track, which NASCAR has said, if you're in an incident, to stay in your car until somebody comes to pick you up, and he obviously didn't do that. So anyway, Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, the only thing, I guess, in this case, I wish if, and again, I, it's my opinion on maybe the change or inconsistency, maybe this 
waiver should come with an apology and an admission of mistake in not granting Grant Infinger, as we said once, back when he really, truly, I feel, did earn it as one of the top drivers. Uh, I hate yeah. to keep harping on that, but that that really does still stick in my craw as far as him not getting that last year. Um, if that's the precedence they want to set going forward with this um, this year, that's their choice. Uh, I'm not 100% sure I agree with it, but um, I don't know. I mean, I did feel the penalty was warranted based on what he did, whether it was entertaining, whether we understand his frustration. Yeah, just walking off and leaving the car in the middle of the track. Uh, as I mentioned, track owners there at Jackson Motor Speedway, I talked to them. They said the same thing. You've got to act. You put NASCAR in a box. Um, now, whether that should take away your whole year versus for that one action versus the one race, like I said, I can understand where they might be driven to give the waiver because the, the playoffs is about the year, not that one race and one incident. But then I go back to Grant Enfinger of look at what he did for the year and didn't get rewarded for it. Okay. Uh, it's time for our roundtable closeout, and Tommy, we'll start with you for that. Uh, at 1075 fan on Twitter, give me a follow. Uh, post the day's day to my little diecast that I got, um, and just keep on following them and keep on looking at them because I've still got a lot to show. Okay, that's awesome. Andy? Uh, CB14 fan on Twitter, and uh, as always, nice to be back uh, for another show this week, and uh, looking forward to uh, the racing this weekend. I will, in fact, be back on Monday. Okay, that is really good. Uh, I'm liking it, Andy. Jay? Yeah, it's been it's been good. <laughs> it has been. Jay? Uh, you can follow me on social media, Michael Hoosman on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. We talked about this early in the show, the weather a factor down here, so I may be at your Capital City Raceway, Jackson Motor Speedway, on Saturday, but it will unfortunately not be for racing. I think we're going to work on some upgrades to the facility, so uh, still can't keep me away from a racetrack, though. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I'm Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including our website, fanforacing.com. Um, put up an article from Mike Orzel today, uh, kind of exploring some of the options for uh, uh, addressing the uh, late restart, overtime restarts, uh, and just kind of acknowledging the fact that there is no easy answer there. Um, also, we had uh, uh, Sam Bornhorst recap up on Monday. Owen. Stuart normally does our power ranking. Unfortunately, uh, we're not going to have a power ranking after CODA, but he did assure me that he will be back next week, and we will have a power ranking after Richmond. Um, let's see. A uh, big shout-out to our listeners. We truly appreciate each and every one of you for taking time to tune in to hear what we have to say, uh, and we hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy doing it. And then uh, shout-out to our Fan for Racing crew here. Uh, really glad to have Tommy back here tonight. And you've heard me reference it throughout the uh, Hot Topic segment. Uh, I'm really happy that uh, Andy's been able to be on as much as he has this year uh, because it was kind of sporadic last year, so we're enjoying that as well. So 
Uh, Jay, thanks for co-hosting tonight. And, Mike, we missed you, but we'll look forward to having you back on when you're able to come back. Uh, With that, uh, Sal and I will be back Monday night for the review of the racing this weekend at Richmond, Texas, and Irwindale Speedway. And I think Jay's going to be at the – not Jay, but uh, Sal – is going to be at the uh, Irwindale Speedway this weekend for that race. So hopefully uh, we'll have our race winner uh, on as well. We'll have to wait and see if that happens. So with that, guys, I think, uh, again, listen to the interview with Ryan Blaney if you haven't had a chance yet. And uh, I think we're ready to call it a night here at Bamper Racing Radio, guys. Have a good night. We'll see you Monday. Good night. Good night, everybody.